the incomparable. Number 208, August 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Uh, our topic in this episode is going to be uh, a video game. We're back on video games with a, uh, a I think, critically loved video game called The Last of Us from uh, from Naughty Dog uh, on PlayStation. And I am going to introduce a fine panel of game players who have played this game and now are going to talk about it they may also use clicks as echolocation in order to find you and kill you uh, but we'll get to that uh brianna Wu is back and uh hey brianna what's up what's crackalacking not much <laughs> or not a, i don't know i don't even know uh steve lutz is also here hey steve Hey, Jason. How you doing? What's crackalacking with you? <laughs> I'm just over here surviving and enduring, my friend. That's good. That's all we can do. We can hope to survive, endure, and live. John Syracuse is also here. Hello, John. I'm just so proud of us all that we all played a game, even if it's a game from yeah, 2013, well. <laughs> and that we're having a podcast about it. I'm very excited. I, I know. I know you like these episodes. And uh, and it, listeners who also listen to the Accidental Tech podcast will, will know that there is a, a continuing subplot on on that podcast, which John is one of the three stars of, which is that uh, John and his co-host Marco's wife, Tiffany, talk about games. And Marco, I guess, goes into another room and does some knitting or something while they talk about games. And I'm happy to report Tiffany Arment is here on the incomparable hello hi 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 hi! i have such a strange title <laughs> john's co-host's wife tiffany <laughs> so the last of us um this is i'm gonna i'm gonna lay my uh, story out front which is we as anybody who's listened to this podcast before will know i am i am not much of a gamer um, really i, I yeah shocker <laughs> although you have every uh, game console under the sun Strangely enough. Of the last generation. She doesn't have any next-gen consoles. Yet. No, I don't. No. No. Well, who does? Well, unless you consider the Wii U a next-gen console, and we don't. Fake uh, gamer boy. Yeah, yep, that's pretty much me. Uh, I really like those short games like Journey and, and Brothers and Gone Home. And let me tell you, The Last of Us, not a short game. Actually mm. quite long. Um, and so I'm just going to give you my... my uh, this is my disclaimer up front. I'm here to be the host. I played about the first... I'm going to say 20% of this game. Oh. And then I We're going to uh, spoil it for and, you. And, and then I watched the uh the mega uh <sighs> video version of it and oh, got the Jason, whole rest of the story. Jason, so, Jason. so I, I everyone's uh <laughs> everyone is disappointed in you, Jason. I, yeah. There yeah. was I ran out of time. There was literally no way I was going to play it. I I would have to like quit my job and play a video game for a week. And and I have other thoughts about it that I don't think are relevant uh right now but uh yeah so i'm happy to be the host and i know what happens in the game and i played some of it but i didn't play all of it i just didn't i there was a moment where i was being killed by zombies repeatedly and i i thought well how far am i from the end and i looked up and i discovered i was so far from the end that i was like not out of the sort of second set of like whatever it is eight segments in this game and i thought oh forget it it's mm-hmm. never going to happen. So, so I guess you're never going to play a Zelda game for this podcast because this game is, what, 20 hours or something? And Zelda, you can easily go 100 yeah. if you try to clear it all out? Probably not. Although my, my wife was playing Wind Waker in the next room while I was playing this today. So, Out of curiosity, were you playing on easy, normal? Presumably oh, easy. not hard. Oh, easy. Oh, easy. Okay. And I was getting mm. creamed. I got to say it. Easy, auto-targeting on. Yeah. 
This is but, not an easy game for people who do not regularly play uh, first-person yeah. shooters or no. third-person yeah. shooters no, on I a console. I found it. I found it extremely difficult. I, I really have to say, I was stunned by how much combat there was in this game because everyone was was praising the story over and over again. Yeah. And what it ends up being is a very Resident Evil four slash five like survival game with with really excellent story parts, but it's primarily a like go through levels and clear out enemies. There's a whole, I was whole really lot of shooting. surprised by that. Yeah. Whole lot of shooting. Until you get the bow and arrow and then it becomes a stealth game. That's when it gets awesome. But you probably never got the bow and arrow. I kind of, well, I saw the video of the person with the bow and arrow and I thought, oh, uh, that looks pretty cool. No, no, you can't appreciate it properly yeah. unless you've actually taken somebody out from across a crowded quad. Yeah, I get it. You know, four feet from an, another guy who's walking totally oblivious. Yeah, and doesn't really notice when his friend has gotten yes. his, uh, his head blown off by a... Yeah. falls to the floor with a yeah. gigantic splash of blood. It's a stealth, uh, stealth splash. So before we get any further along, I, I thought I would, uh, I would take a chance and see if John Syracuse might have an opening <laughs> statement. No, not today. As a matter of fact, I do. Oh! oh. I'm shocked. A short one. Uh, all right, so... Broadly speaking, these days, I only really like two kinds of video games. If you listen to this podcast, you've probably heard me mention these kinds. One kind of video game is Nintendo franchise games. you got your Marios, your Zeldas, your Metroids Prime, that type of thing. And the second kind of game is your artsy-fartsy and or talky game, like Journey, Ego, Shadow of the Colossus, Gone Home, Walking Dead, and I guess something like Brothers. Yay, artsy-fartsy. Uh, yeah, and well, and short. And I, I tend not to like any of the popular games, especially on consoles. Like, I don't like first-person shooters like Call of Duty, Battlefield, or Halo, even though I've played some of those games. I don't like non-Mario Kart racing games, and I don't like third-person action games with waist-high walls and a cover mechanic. <laughs> and so the Last wow. of Us... The Last of Us contains pretty much all the things that I hate about modern third-person console games. Things which I will gladly list later, if given the chance. Uh, but not in this opening statement. And yet, I <laughs> that will was say a footnote that, right there yes. in the opening statement. All right. Yes, because I do have a big list of things that I hate. And yet, I'm going to say <laughs> that the things that are good about The Last of Us are so good that they handily overcome my hatred of this entire genre and pull this game up from the swamps of popular mass market gaming that I hate into wow. my own personal best of list. Wow. So that's why I think this is an exciting game for me. It's mm. a game that's popular, that looks like all the other games that I hate, but I really liked it. That's cool. <laughs> John, you're one of the non-horror guys, though, aren't you? Well, I, I, the original Resident Evil I liked. Resident Evil 4 I liked. I mean, you can see how I might be inclined to like this game as well. Hmm. So we should say, for those who have gotten this far, that this is a, this is a zombie apocalypse game. Um, the, you, you begin as, It's not zombies, Jason. Well, it's fungus. Well, it's totally fun different. They're fungus zombies. They're still zombies. They're just... That's, the fungus makes them zombies anyway you're you're joel who is a uh who in the opening scene is a uh single father uh and they the uh his daughter is watching tv and there's an outbreak of uh of this zombie stuff and uh i i thought this was actually good as somebody who had heard about this game vaguely i thought this was a great fake out which is um i knew that this was a game where uh, a man and a young girl have to go like through a zombie apocalypse and so when uh, we meet his daughter i think oh okay this is going to be the story which, which of tells course, me that you never looked at the front of the box yeah i was gonna it. say that i didn't yeah. well, that's good he was spoiler free he didn't even know what ellie looked like hey john should i fire off the spoiler horn now 
Yes, you should, because we do not want to spoil people. If right. you haven't played this game, don't listen to this podcast. And we should probably tell people what we think of it. We think it's good. Go play it. Unless, unless you hate combat games, in which case don't. You'll still hate it. Tiff, it's not a bell. Well, you can <laughs> add a bell, I mean, for extra measure. All right. We're also going to ring the spoiler bell. Ding. All right. <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention, I got to say. And I was like, I don't know, whatever. And uh, it's a video game. They, they lie on the cover anyway. It could be totally different. Um, but uh, it's a, I thought it was a nice fake out in that this is what this is not what the, the story really is, because his daughter dies um, and is killed not by a zombie, but by a freaked out soldier. And uh, and then we cut to years later um, and then we follow Joel as he's given a mission to escort young Ellie um, across the U.S. to these uh, these fireflies people who are who uh, think that she's a key to a cure to the zombie infection. And that's your premise. And then and then uh, the story continues with uh, their relationship growing as well as the fact that they have to um, – I was thinking of you, John, actually, during this because my, my capsule of The Last of Us would be if you've ever wanted to live through a zombie apocalypse and shoot zombies and other people um, and have that – uh, that full on I'm uh, I'm just killing people in an apocalypse feeling. This is the game for you because this feels exactly like a zombie apocalypse would feel to me, which is horrible and <laughs> dark, and you, everybody's trying to kill you. <laughs> so that's not what I like about the apocalypse. I don't like killing the other people. I like the fact that everyone else is dead already. So, <laughs> so well, like the cities are so this empty. Is like doing yourself you got, apocalypse. You, you got all this space right. and all this, and this one they, you know, like if I was actually in this game, I would go far away from people instead of going towards yes. them. Of course, the game has a story that involves. Well, you're out. just finishing the job started by the zombie <laughs> yeah, apocalypse. That's right. There, there was so much detail and so much work clearly put into every second of this that I, I got through Boston and I thought I must be two thirds of the way through the game. This yep. is yeah, be super yeah. Short. Right, like, right. How many settings are in this game? Like, I didn't spoil myself. I'm like, boy, I guess this game mostly takes place in Boston, which is cool with me even though they took like geographic liberties oh my god that part yeah. drove me crazy <laughs> oh, oh, I, thought, I thought the tea i thought the tea station looked like a tea station i did i did feel it like did, I, but I've it's like in bizarro station. boston yeah, where nothing is. is where it's supposed to be but it's fine <laughs> yeah it's it's i don't know that that did bother me like you're supposed to be near a museum and then you're downtown like nothing it's like they well, wanted the to zombies feel like boston. ruined the yeah. zombies ruined the map they did too. they moved the museums they are the worst um, I let's see what else. Well, the the, the length thing. Actually, I I had a thought about this when I was playing it. That um, that I realized that this is how uh, these major game titles are done. But I what 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 I started to think was as as an aficionado of those those artsy fartsy, as John said, little short games was something that actually um, it's a little bit like the what the Walking Dead game is is doing, which is I sort of felt like oh I get it. This is like a season of a TV show. Like it, this is literally like a, an eight episode story that happens, and you could you could literally dole these out one a month um, with cliffhangers. And I think actually for a player like me, it would probably work better like that. Like, look, you just are going to do this opening se- segment, and then you know, then Pittsburgh is going to come, and then you're going to be in Wyoming, right? And you just just kind of like each episode, and and. Um, but that's that's when I as you I was could almost hear the and, sad Hulk music playing at yeah, the end as, of each as, segment. Uh, as the as the playing as playing it and then and then later watching it when I gave up. I mean, I definitely felt like like oh, I get it. This is this is much more episodic because it's it's so it is huge. It does 
you know, it felt to me as somebody who's played the shorter games, like I was playing through what I felt was like, I got to be getting closer to the end now. And I was so far from the end that I, I was very sad, but there's a lot in here and a lot of different settings. And when you get to the, when you get to the snow later, uh, you get to, you get to ride some horses, you get to shoot, you, you get to shoot at a I at, love the horse level. There's a horse level. There is I mean, a horse come level. on. No minecart, but horse. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you're right that it is episodic and that like there's these you know this they do it episodic by by city which is convenient uh, but there's also you know within each city there's a there's a story there's a there's, it's more like chapters in a book there's a series yeah. of events taking place whatever you were trying to do in that little section comes to a head and it resolves itself in some way and then you move on to the next thing and the story is progressing the entire time and i think that that part of the game where you feel like you're reading different chapters in different settings really works well and it builds to something exciting which i think uh tiff and i have talked about this in the past like my favorite part of the game was after you after it builds to the point where uh you know no matter what you do uh joel ends up getting grievously injured in in combat in a half cutscene type thing and uh and you don't know and things are looking down and like this game is not a happy game so things kind of going downhill and not working out the way you want (laughs) eventually just like you think like all right so first first of all you don't know have I just seen a bad ending? Like, is this happening because I did something bad and if I had played better, this would not have happened to me? And then I think in that same cutscene, it's like Ellie is threatened as well and it looks like both of them are going to die. I'm like, well, I guess this is just a bad ending, uh, and, you know, bad ending cutscene because I'll have to go back and replay this because obviously I've done something wrong. Uh, and then it sort of fades to black and instead of giving you another chance to play, the very next scene is winter in the snow and has you creeping up over, over and it look it looks amazing made yep. a good job with the snow and has you creeping up with a bow as ellie who you have not played as for the, the other portion of the game and yep. you realize now it's on her to take care of joel that that progression of like one chapter after another if they had been doled out like like the walking dead i don't think that those story beats would have worked as well because i think you really need to transition mm-hmm. right from that big downer right to oh it's all on me and i'm a little girl and i have a bow I don't know. I thought that was worked as a cliffhanger. Well, the great thing about that, too, is it's like it's like numbering your basic programs, 10, 20, 30, because now you've left open these little segments where you can slot in DLC, which they did. Well, yeah, I'd love for them to do that in every single cutscene. Just fill it in with more stuff. I would play it all the time. <laughs> and then they could have and the, and the, the director's cut with everything. In, in, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I felt like the the way that they told the story, it is literally exactly the same way that they did uncharted one or uncharted two and uncharted three and often like the story beats at the end are there to like hide a level load because they do level streaming in it and i don't know i thought it was i i almost i i kind of disagree with you tiffany because i wanted this game to be shorter and i thought they could have they could have tightened it up like i played through this game wanting to enjoy the story I, I'm motivated by narrative, and I felt like there was like twice as much combat as they there needed to be. So, hmm. I, hmm. I I think I want to move on and talk about the characters in the story a little bit. But I, I you know I, obviously as somebody who who crashed and, and burned at this and doesn't love, um, you know I don't love combat stuff i'm also not very good at it and that's one of the reasons why i don't love it but i definitely felt like there was a lot of that um and and maybe as we're talking about the tone of it too i mean it is 
it is a relentlessly bleak game in that way too and and i found like after a while of just kind of running around and being afraid of being killed by zombies or shot by other humans that i was like really you know i i really loved the dialogue and acting actual acting of the characters in the cutscenes. and then during the combat i was like oh yeah more combat okay it was not i mean the parts of the game that got me excited were not the combat parts the problem is without the combat parts, there's literally nothing no, that there's you're no, doing. No, it's a movie then, <laughs> which exactly it will be. Exactly right. I mean, it's, this, is, this is effectively, it's, it's cutscene to cutscene. Your one contribution to their trek across the United States is you decide whether they survive to the next cutscene or die horribly. That's really it. That's well, your I'm one like, choice in the like game. With, with all the combat, the cutscenes were like a nice relief, like where you could just like, oh, okay, I got yeah. through that. Now we can like enjoy their little banter and, you know, you're going through and, you know, you can trigger different um, dialogues that t- the two character has between Joel and Ellie. And I really like that part that you kind of had control over that even during a cutscene you know, they had the, the movie type cutscenes and then they had the cutscenes where there was no health bar. So you could still manipulate the the characters, but you would have no um, health repercussions for it. You know, like so you could just kind of play as them and teach her how to whistle and those type of things that you could either choose to do or not do. And I really like that. I thought that really added to a lot of the characters. There's a lot of ambient audio as well. Like even if you weren't in a cutscene, if you if you played this, here's the thing. Like if you if you play it like like just uh, you know a short attention span teenager and just go like kill 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 cutscene kill 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 cutscene just trying to race through the game, you're gonna miss out on it. If you if you play it, I mean, here's the difference between this and like Uncharted Two, which like I said I played some of, is that I never really related to was it nathan drake or whatever his name is in, in mm-hmm. uncharted i never really cared about the character so that felt like okay i'm just going to sort of go i felt like i was going through the motions whereas in this game i would role play like playing with little dolls right i would role play the characters like they were real people so i would walk next to ellie and they would have conversations <laughs> ambiently in audio whereas if right. i just run off to search for ammo she'd be over there talking and i'd get out of the range of her little sound cone right and i wouldn't hear her anymore and i'd be like blah 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 talky talky <laughs> talk let me let me search for like little pieces of tape and paper and and uh sugar and explosives because you know but instead i role-played it like i was really there and like these were people who needed to be you know like they were together and that that made me so i'm sort of like puppet acting out the movie not during mm. the cutscenes. you know what i mean I did the same as john exactly like that and it was great you couldn't hear i love that they had that you could not hear the person if you're actually out of range of them but they're still talking and you could totally miss all of that great detail and character development oh but as a completist that drove me crazy because <laughs> you felt like you had to run elsewhere. I, I don't want to sneak closer to those guys that are having the conversation about all the tourists they killed. I don't want to get closer, but I have to. I don't want to miss this cutscene. Well, see, if I was when I was role playing in that, I'm like, well, if I was here, I wouldn't need to hear their dialogue sequences because I'm not I'm not playing a game. Like I'm not like I need to hear all the assets that were put in this game. I need to hear all the audio. It was more like if I was in the game. And the combat was over, and I immediately ran away. And in mid sentence, when Ellie was trying to ask me a question, I would be a jerk. And so I'm going to sit there and talk with her, right? Whether there's yeah. interactive button presses for me to ask her something or not, or even or even Bill or any of the other people, like when there's ambient conversations happening. If you suddenly turn your characters back and go off into the corner and do something, like I wish the ca- I, I kind of wish characters in video games would be like. Sometimes they do this; they have like a "Hey, where are you going?" animation or something. But I, I wish everyone would just stop talking to you because, like, this guy's a jerk. Every time we try to talk to <laughs> him, he goes, he goes, and runs off and rooting through the garbage looking for uh, power ups or something. Like, who wants to hang out with him? So I played it like I was the person. I was role playing it like I was the person in the situation, and that's 
that's what kept me playing in this game and that's what kept me engaged with it when uh, like brianna said like uncharted it's the same mechanic it's the same you know it's probably the same character animations and the same cover and the same you know like a lot of it is the same but it just it felt so different to me because the story engaged me so much and the story and the characters and setting engaged me so much more than uncharted I really like that aspect of it. I mean, Uncharted is basically a, it's an action movie. You know, this is real, this is game storytelling at its very best. I mean, it, it moved me. That opening moved me. The ending left me thinking for a long time. And, you know, each of the side characters, I thought, like Tess, I was so sad when she got killed. And, you know, or or, or his brother. I mean, it was... This really excelled. Like when you start thinking about you interacting with the people in the game at that level, like you did, John, like that really means they succeeded. And I, I just, I think that is what this game does excellently. I really like that aspect where you can you can almost sort of tailor the experience you have with the game depending on how you want to play it. I mean, John, of mm-hmm. course, you know he role played and and got the conversations that he wanted to get and not the ones that he didn't. I uh, I loaned this game to a friend who played it in like three just marathon sessions, I guess, over a couple of nights, and uh, he never even got the joke book pulled out on him. Really? Which to oh, me, no, it's 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 mind blowing. That is that is such a critical thing. That whole the the relationship between Ellie and Joel changes completely over the course of her reading all those horrible puns to him. Mm-hmm. Especially when you play the after game or whatever you would call that. What do you call it? Oh, left uh, DLC. Yeah, the DLC. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that's. I mean, it, it brings it all back right there with all the jokes, and it's so great. But he never even, he never, he didn't even know about the joke book. I said, I, what did you think about the joke book scene? He said, what joke book scene? Oh, no. And, and I was blown away by that. But that's, that's the experience he wanted to have. He wanted to go through and, and uh, blow away a bunch of guys. And that's what he did. <laughs> the, like I said, the combat is compelling. And it, it, but if you, if you wanted to immerse yourself in the story and, and really get every, you know, every, every bit of it that you could, you could do that. But it's great that you could play both. You could do both things. Is he pressing the X button during all the cutscenes? Just like, like, oh, look, they're having a conversation. X, X, X. Can I get no, through this? I don't want to hear them talking. Oh, oh. But, but she only pulls out that joke book if you're, if you're crawling around looking for, you know, spare shivs and whatnot. Uh, she, she, she waits for a period of downtime and then she says, okay, it's time to lighten the mood. And then she pulls out the book. And if, you're, if you never slow down enough to search every corner or, you know, spend time staring at the beautiful rendering, it, it never happens. Yeah, that's the thing about the game is that you can never quite tell when something is scripted. Like, I don't, I, when I was playing the game, it is it not clear, like, it, would she have started pulling that thing out and talking no matter what happened at this point in the game? Or is it just because, like, like you were surmising that it was in the area, a, 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 you know, a sequence of inactivity? And I, I don't spend most of my time trying to figure out how the game mechanics work. Occasionally, you, in combat, you do a little bit of trying to figure out how the game AI works so you can get through a difficult section. But... Most of the time, I just wanted to feel naturalistic, and that's the, that's the magic of movie making and, and storytelling and everything. Is like, it's it's all going to be fake and it's all a bunch of lies, but they have to make you believe it. And so, if you get invested enough in the game, it just sort of un- unfolds naturally. That's so hard to do because we know, like in in you know the past generations of games, everything had some thing that you would find that was wrong. A character would, would repeat the same catchphrase over and over again, or we get caught on a wall and start glitching, or like you could never find yourself believing it and. Games are getting so much better at not showing you that, you know what, Ellie's not an actual person. She's just a series of scripts and <laughs> recorded audio and behaviors based on environment, right? 
uh, and it breaks the illusion when she does something weird or whatever. Like, all right, time for a brief break to talk about our sponsor this week. It's Harry's. Welcome back, Harry's. Now, I had somebody tell me, and this is a an accent thing, that when I had Harry's on a previous show, they thought it was Harry's, like H-A-I-R-Y-S, and it's not. It's H-A-R-R-Y-S, and now I'm going to sound my like my in-laws and say Harry's. Is that better? Here's the deal with Harry's. Harry's is Harry's is about shaving, shaving for gentlemen. Uh, I am one of those gentlemen who shaves. I am not a beard kind of person. And shaving is not great. It can be uncomfortable. It can scrape your face and make your face all stingy and sore with razor burn. Razor blades are expensive. They're hard to shop for. You've got the blades with the super expensive cartridges that have got like a million blades in them. And then there's Harry's, which makes everything simpler. Two guys started Harry's. They just wanted a better product, and they didn't want to make anybody have to pay an arm and a leg to get it. And let me tell you, it is true. I got sent some Harry's blades when they first advertised on The Incomparable, and they're fantastic. Harry's makes their own blades. They bought the factory. They liked it so much, they bought the factory. That sounds like a Razor commercial from way back. The factories in Germany, they make their own blades. They are high-quality, high-performing German blades. It gives you a better shave. Then they've got this amazing shaving cream. It's got this light mint uh, scent to it. It is great. That is actually my favorite thing that Harry's makes is the shaving cream. It is fantastic. And since it's a little squeeze bottle, I discovered that I can squeeze it out into a little bottle and take it with me through airport security. And I could never do that with my old go-to shaving cream, which came in a big metal can. So the blades are half the cost of the other big brand blades. The shaving cream is delightful. They ship it for free to your front door. They have a starter set that's a great deal. For $15, you get the razor, you get that wonderful shave cream, and three razor blades, and your satisfaction is guaranteed. And let me tell you, I was incredibly satisfied with this. I will never go back. I'm using Harry's Fantastic Blade. I love, love, love the shave cream. So I really can't say enough good things about Harry's. Harry's. You should try them out. If you're Harry, you should try Harry's. They'll give you $5 off if you visit harrys.com and use our special coupon code SNELL. That's my name. That's the name of the clean-shaven guy who's talking to you right now. For your first purchase, use code SNELL for $5 off. Harry's.com. H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Coupon code SNELL at checkout for $5 off. Start shaving better today with Harry's Man, I love that shaving cream. And thanks to Harry's for sponsoring The Incomparable. I really liked the the um, relationship between those characters, which builds over time. And, uh, you know, somebody mentioned earlier the, the secondary characters are also all different and interesting. And the performances are great. I think the voice performances are really good. And, and I was blown away. I mean, I mentioned this earlier. I was blown away by the performances of the uh, the visual acting of the characters like that, that I don't know whether they shot reference video. Of, oh, it's all mocap of, of actors. It, it looks like it. It is don't shot it for him. No, no. Well, I mean, I, I don't know whether they, whether they mocap everything or whether they just do matches or, or how it works technically, but it was, it was an, a legitimate acting performance and a good acting performance, which I liked because in a lot of, uh, a lot of the video games that I've played, you know, the characters are kind of blobs and they, don't move like people and it was all uh, very human and everybody had a different performance i i have to admit that i spent the entire um 
time casting the actors and knowing that this is going to be a live action movie i spent the entire time casting actors in the parts uh and 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 so for me joel is let, totally let josh guess. josh brolin don't say ellen page <laughs> and and and, and she would be ellen page except she's, oh, she's too old now so that's a lawsuit about that i think yeah that could that yeah. wouldn't wouldn't shock me it felt like that but but um well josh brolin should get in on that lawsuit because joel feels like josh brolin. <laughs> well the joel's voice is out i mean maybe i don't play enough of these popular games that i just said i hated uh but his voice does not sound like the typical sort of it uh, was it uh, nolan north who does all the ways nolan north don't tell me nolan north is doing this voice because now this is troy baker but anyway, Nolan North does a lot of voice, like the gruff video game guy voice. Like I'm a tough guy. I'm a big adventurer. I'm I'm a poor man's Indiana Jones. I'm a space mm. marine. Like Joel does not sound like that at all. And his kind of, I don't know if it's a southern draw, but like his his sort of calm accent. Like I loved his voice. His voice, yeah. his voice was the favorite. And, and you better love it because you're going to hear it a lot. A and lot. he's you know he's he's sort of your proxy. And yeah. Uh, good voice acting in games who who would have thought it happens every once in a while uh and matched up with you know the, the 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 actress performance uh through through the uh you know the motion caption all that other stuff and and ellie was good too she could have been grating and annoying but she wasn't and and i do admit there was a lot of ellen page sort of coming through because they do look very similar and i kept kind of picturing her but mm-hmm. uh good acting goes a long way and like i said i don't i don't like games where they do Play the game, watch a movie. Play the game, watch a movie. I like it better when, first of all, I like it when the cutscenes are in engine. And and this point, the engines are so good that even when they're not in engine, eh, it's close, right? Like, I think they use the, the cutscene models in the, in the PlayStation 4 remaster of this. So it's almost in engine, but it's not interactive. I like it much better when there's no, there's no gaps between it. And this one is sort of hard to creep up on that a little bit with what we just talked about with these sort of. Uh, story sequences happening in game during right. downtime. I wish there was more of that, but. That really, that really sold it. Yeah, I was actually surprised um, when I, I watched the—I didn't get a chance to finish on Easy when I was playing uh, this week. And so I watched the rest of the cutscenes, and I was surprised by how much of the story wasn't in the cutscenes. I remembered a yeah. lot of story going on that, that I remembered sort of being in cutscenes, and they weren't. It turns out those were in-game moments. Yeah, so there's, just... a, there's a YouTube video that's called the Marathon Edition, that, which is the one that I watched after I gave up. And um, I, I did the calculations. The Marathon Edition is six hours long. And the cutscenes in the game are about 90 minutes long. But the Marathon Edition is a guy who actually did the whole walkthrough and then cut out everything that wasn't like important combat or the conversations that happen. And there's a lot that happens that's not in the cutscenes. <laughs> a right. lot. And he was performing that for you essentially, because during yes. the part that aren't cutscene, he's he's doing what I was saying, like the little doll play acting. Mm-hmm. He's he's giving your performance himself, and that's that's why I like you know my favorite type of games, like the Zelda type games, where yeah, there are cutscenes, but like for the most part, everything that I remember about a Zelda game is something that I did, you know, in service mm-hmm. of a linear story that's going to happen one way or the other. <laughs> but I feel like I did this thing, and I fought this thing, and I discovered this, and I found this secret room or whatever. You feel like that you did this, not that you were watching a movie directed by someone else. I really like the um, I really like that moment which we we alluded to earlier when uh, it flips around and and uh, Joel has been so horribly wounded that Ellie needs to take care of him, which is also actually where the Left Behind uh, DLC level is set along with mm-hmm. the flashback, and I, I, that's a great moment. And you sort of expect that it's going to come. Am I really going to play Joel the whole time? Um, and she gets the gun, and you're thinking about it, and then there's that moment where he is he is impaled on a metal thing and uh you know falls off the horse and uh 
and she has to take care of him. And uh, I, I love that. I love that switch in perspective. I, I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was really great. I thought Joel might have died too. Like mm-hmm. at that point in the game, I was ready for him to be dead and the rest of the game to just be Ellie because that would have been fine with me. And it could have happened. And they wanted you to at least wonder about that, right? Because when when they cut to winter and she's in the snow and she's hunting the deer and then she meets the guy until she says, "I need medicine." Yeah, you don't know. Uh, and that Joel guy, what's gone. his name? David, super creepy. Super creepy. Oh yeah, they did a good job on him. You know, he's played by Nolan North. Maybe that's why you don't like him, John. <laughs> he's a good bad guy. Uh, but, oh, but, I mean, he was he was just super creepy. And like, and that's the great thing about it. At that point in the game, Jason, had you played up to that point, you know pretty much all these humans that you meet are like out for themselves. Yep. And the people who do well are pretty darn evil. And you're, you just feel mm-hmm. like you're just, you're just protecting this tiny little light of like goodness that you might have in you in between strangling people to try to protect like your friends and this girl and to try to cure everybody or whatever and she meets this guy and every instinct in your body is saying this guy get away Mm -hmm. like this is not a guy to be near he is terrible it's so clear but then the other side of you is like have you lost all faith in humanity maybe you know like everyone is wary of each other they do that little dance about like you know who's got a gun on who and who wants to help who and let me tell me where you are turns out he is evil so your instincts were right but like i felt that tension during that scene of like should I be more trusting? Maybe. And it's so stupid because it's like, it's not It's not like a game like Revolution 60 where you actually have choices that have consequences to the story. <laughs> like, this is dragging you through a pretty set story, but they do it so well that I was actually like contemplating, maybe I should, you know, how should I react? N- never mind that how you react to that person really doesn't affect what's going to happen. You're going to get kidnapped one way or the other. <laughs> uh, but But I was, it was faking me out. Yeah, I thought that lack of player agency really, really bothered me through the whole game. And I, 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 I understand where they're going with it because they do have a very specific story that they're trying to tell. But like, this is what game designers call it. You call it player agency, like the ability to affect your world. And you have a decision in how you approach combat. But you don't really have any agency in how the story turns out. And, you know, I realize as I'm talking about this, I sound super negative about it. I like this game. I would give this game a 9.5. Like, it's just being oh, critical about something. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was just I mean, that was the subs of the graphics were 9, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics were 9. We're on to gameplay. Can we talk about, you know, like, John, you're talking about, like, do you have any faith in humanity at all at this? Like, can mm. we talk about Joel's character? Because, like, Chris Plant over at Polygon wrote a fantastic um, op-ed that I really agreed with about Joel as a character. And he believes Joel to be a sociopath. Mm. And I kind of have to agree with that. I mean, the way I interpret Joel, having played the game, is he's so traumatized by his daughter's death that he doesn't feel anything towards anyone, and he kind of wants to protect. Mm-hmm. He he wants to protect this girl. It's not so much about her; it's about him because he just brutally murders everyone in mm-hmm. his path. In the ending. Like, you know that she would have wanted that. You know that she would have wanted... Can we talk oh, yeah. about the ending? Like We got to spend some yeah. time on the ending. Yeah, I mean, she would have wanted to give up her life to find a cure. And he makes that decision for her and lies about it. And I see Joel as a tremendously evil character. I don't I, I, I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? No, Do you, I, I, don't, I, don't I didn't see, see that. that. Here's, here's the thing with that. They, um, I think up until the ending... And and I should say I I really loved almost every aspect of this game up until the ending, which I I basically hated. <laughs> uh, up until the ending, 
I think they did a pretty solid job of allowing you to approach combat in a sort of role-playing way. So you oh. could determine, if you wanted to, you could take, away, take, off, take out people from a mile away without knowing what their intentions were and just shoot everybody, kill everybody that you run across without finding out whether they were good or bad. Uh, naturally, if you did approach them kind of slowly as though you, you, know, you were going to put out your hands and say, friends, uh, they're going to shoot you anyway. But the fact that you had the ability, and I think they did a really masterful job of, of continuing to give you that, that sort of ability to rationalize Joel's intentions, um, you know, you, you're, you're kind of able to play it whichever way you want until the very ending. And the end is so problematic for me because that's, that's the place where you completely lose any possibility of having any sort of agency. Agency, at all. yes. And um, I mean, even even as I'm running through the hospital, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to give me something at some point where it turns out that uh, you know removing the the fungus from Ellie is only ten percent likely to work, or you know, uh, you know, there, there's there's going to be some evil or something that's going to justify what I'm doing here. And then I got into the operating room itself. And the doctor, who is clearly no threat to Joel, is standing there with his scalpel, and you have no, you have no recourse but to kill him. Yes. And, and that was the point at which there, there is absolutely no way to, to not be a cold-blooded murderer in that You have to kill the doctor. That's it. And up until that game point, is, you is could pretend you that you through. weren't. He could scalpel you. You got to watch out. That's right. Him or me? You could totally disarm him. I, I don't know. I, I, I think there are, uh, to what Brianna said, I think the game makes a choice of not making Joel seem justified. I mean, there, there is a choice in a lot of the um, brutality that he dishes out that I think is them them making a point of showing him behave like that, that, that it's not, I, you know, it feels like a, a very much a creative decision and not sort of a, no, 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 that's not what we meant. I mean, you're meant to see the brutality right. that Joel um, enacts on other people in this world. He has There's no mercy. There's even an early conversation between Tess and him where she says, face it, we're shitty people, Joel. And Joel yes. says, no, we're survivors. So that dichotomy is there the whole way along. Well, yes, she's no longer a survivor at that point. Look at the way he kills Marlene at the very end. Like, that is a cold-blooded murder. Yeah. Right, in the flashback. I mean, there's no way to justify that. Like, he's acting on his own needs, his own actions to, like, keep his own need to, like, protect his daughter. And he just murders this woman. And I don't see how you can interpret that as something other than kind of him being a sociopath. I thought the character was consistent throughout uh, the story because, like, the whole story in the opening is, uh, you know, you have this character who you assume before the game began was just a, a regular good person. Uh, and he's and he's a broken man by the time they do the flash forward through several years later, right? And he's broken throughout the game. And his whole thing is, like, his relationship with Tess, you see that they do have a, you know a uh, romantic relationship but it's kind of like that's the one little part of a romantic relationship that he'll let into his life but kind of barely and she's also kind of a, a hard case too and then when ellie comes into it it's like he's like no i'm still broken i can't have i can't have these feelings i can't think about these things and he sort of views ellie as a sort of an alien threat to his emotional well-being and it's not like he softens to her like he's oh i'm grumpy but then she makes me happy it's not it's like that he's trying to come to terms with that he doesn't want to that he doesn't want to be he can't be unbroken he's just completely broken completely screwed up and she's trying to bring him back to the world and he doesn't want to come back to the world and eventually what he comes back as is i mean like you said it's i think it works as a, it's a selfish thing where he's like 
all right, he, at some point in the game, he decides I can have this again, again, and this time I'm not going to lose it, and I'm going to use all the brokenness <laughs> in me to make sure I don't lose it again. And so w- when I got up to that doctor scene in the end, like, again, this whole game, like, it's, what's going to happen is going to happen no matter what. So all the, the player agency uh, is an illusion anyway. But when I got there, again, I'm wrapped up enough in the game that when I got in there and saw the doctors and the guy's got his hands up on the walls and he's shaking with whatever, I had a couple moments thought and saying... I, I thought to myself again, as if my as if my decision would make any difference in this game. Like I was, I was involved enough in the game that I thought I now have to make a decision because I mean it made, it made sense too. Maybe you know from an intellectual perspective, at the end of the game there could be two endings. Like this, the right. problem with games like sure. Revolution sixty is it's really expensive to do multi pass oh, yeah. through the thing. So, but in at the end, at the end of the game, maybe you can have the good ending or the bad ending or whatever. So I felt like I had to make a decision, and the decision I made role playing as Joel was. You know, we get in there, we get all the stuff, and uh, the guy's hands up, and I want to get it out, and and I say, you know what? Like they never did tell. Like if I was really here, I would say you don't know whether you're going to cure this thing by cutting open this person's brain. If it was so easy, maybe you would have done it before. I have no faith that these this like mm-hmm. ragtag group of people in this little dingy hospital are going to they're going to kill her. No one's going to get cured from it, and nothing's going to get better. And the only good thing I have in this world that can possibly bring me back to being a functioning person is the girl on that table. So you know what? No, you're not going to kill this girl for what I think is a very slim chance of curing anything. And I shot him. I shot him because I, I thought he deserved to die for being willing to kill this person <laughs> against her will. Role playing. Like, she didn't she didn't sign a consent form that says, Yes, please take my brain. They kidnapped her forcibly. No, in fact, and did clearly this. she she never woke up between the time that she was out. I know. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah. so it's not happening under consent. And I say this right. is you know, I don't know every what's going on in this world. I don't know if I'm gonna save the world or anything, but I do know that this person does not deserve to be killed without her consent for, for some slim chance of curing the disease. So I decided to kill him at kill her, her as Joel. I didn't like the fact that I didn't get a choice in the final dialogue scene, to how I, what I was going to tell mm. Ellie about it, but yeah. I felt like w- the choice that Joel made, maybe not the choice I would have made, but it was consistent with the character that I had created by acting out through Joel for the rest of the game. Embrace your oh, inner sure, sociopath, sure. John. Embrace yeah. your inner sociopath. It's not, it's not a sociopath. It's just a, bro- it's just a broken <laughs> no. person trying to, trying to be- become whole again in the only way that he can. Like, what's certain in this world? Are we going to save everybody? Is everything going to be all better? What's certain is that he cares for her and she cares for him, and together we've seen that they can survive and make a life for themselves. It's not impossible. It's not like, you know, everyone is doomed. Couldn't they just take a little part of her brain? Do they have to take the whole I mean, brain out? Really? I, I was saying, like the fire, the fireflies are not nice people. Like no. they are, like everyone else in this or world. Or good just, doctors, like <laughs> trying to trying to survive by any means necessary. They think they have high minded ideals, but in the end, it's just a bunch of people and a bunch of muck trying to trying to stay alive. And especially because, like, when you collect all the little artifacts, and if you read the papers, and then you hear Joel's responses to a lot of them, he's always like, "Oh, I wonder if they got out or." Oh, that really sucks for that family. You know, something to that effect. So he does have Ooh. those moments of caring about other people that were in the world. But obviously all of, just like everyone keeps saying, all the good people are all dead already. You know, like you, you're in the sewer and you see like those little kids that died. You know, like you, the all those, like, and he has, he his character expresses empathy and and sorrow for, for those things that he comes across that happened in this awful apocalyptic world um but but then yeah he he does act you know extremely aggressively and um kind of psycho at the end but hey time to take another brief break for our second sponsor today and it's a new sponsor to the incomparable welcome to backblaze so you know people 
Are you backing up your data? Backup is important. You get lectured about how you need to back up your data. Hard drives are unreliable. Computers are unreliable. The places you store your computers can be unreliable. Now, most people would say, I plan to back up. I'm just going to get around to it. Like, I plan to run a marathon. I plan to write a novel someday. And you never do. And then there are people who have taken advantage of something like Time Machine, and they've got a hard drive attached to their computer. They back it up every now and then. That's better. And maybe you leave that hard drive attached all the time, and it's constantly backing up. That's even better. That's great. But what happens if your house gets flooded, or there's a fire, or a zombie apocalypse, or something like that? An on-site backup where your backup is the same place your computer is, is not safe. It can't be the only backup solution. So whether you're somebody who doesn't backup at all, or you do backup regularly to something like Time Machine on a hard drive at your house, at your place of business, it's not enough. You need off-site backup. Off-site online backup is the easiest way to make sure your files are secure, even if something catastrophic happens to your computer and your backups. Backblaze can provide this for the low price of 5 dollars a month. That's unlimited backup. As much data as your computer can hold, it will be backed up. It's unthrottled. As fast as your internet connection can go, it will get backed up. It works on the Mac. It works on PCs. There's an iOS app. There's a shiny new Android app. So you can access your backed up files from your mobile device and share them even when you're not anywhere nearby. So it's actually a great way to remote access your files via the backup server, which is pretty cool. Now, Backblaze recently announced they have backed up more than 100 petabytes of data that is a whole lot of data and more than 6 billion files have been restored to life thanks to backblaze if you delete a file if a file turns out it went bad a little while ago you can retrieve the last good version from backblaze so you should check out backblaze five dollars a month i highly recommend if you're not backing up and even if you are backing up at home or at work you need an off-site backup. Backblaze is easy to set up. They have a really nice native Mac app. $5 a month. Here's where you go. Backblaze.com slash incomparable. That's backblaze.com slash incomparable. Check them out. It's a really good deal. You really need to make your data secure. And Backblaze is a great way to do it. And thank you so much to the good people at Backblaze for sponsoring the incomparable. What about, I mean, what about Bill? What about Henry and Sam? And what about um, the the brother and their little... Uh, you know, hydroelectric dam civilization that they've got. I mean, these are characters that are problematic, but they're not, they're not evil. I mean, there is that moment where with, with, with the brothers where it's like, Hey, I, you would probably have survived. And now I saved you from drowning afterwards. So we're good. Right. Um, and, and, uh, Bill is cranky, um, and sad that his partner has, uh, has, has left, but, and died. Uh, but those aren't, those aren't, um, unredeemable characters in the same way that, uh, that David is. Well, well right. but they're all in, in a downward slope. Like oh, sure. when you, well, when you, when you find that place, with like all the, all, the, all the kids John. who died and everything, when you, <laughs> when you see all those kids who died, all you did was meet Bill halfway through to their no being Bill. Bill got in a fight with his partner and they they split up and then the partner died. He feels terrible. You assume Bill is going to eventually go to the hydroelectric dam. Looks like it's working good. I bet that so- sewer setup probably looked like it was working good too. But then eventually it all goes downhill. Like that's why <laughs> the lesson that Joel takes or that I took as Joel through this game is that nothing is certain in this world. You're not going to... The only thing that's certain is the relationship you have to the people that are with you now. Everything well, else like planning, you know, like thinking that you know if you, if i just stay with these people and settle down everything will be fine you just got to keep moving keep fighting keep living and all you have is like 
you know, there's nothing left to hold on to except for that person right there. And if, and if you care about that person, then that's good enough, and that's what you're living for. And everything else is like, like I would, I don't think he should, you know. Oh, I'll go back to the dam. I'll live with my brother. I'm sure they'll be fine there. <laughs> everything else in the game has led me to believe they won't be fine there. Something will I mean, happen. Yeah, the first ten minutes he was there, he was attacked by bandits. So I mean, <laughs> <Right>. come on. <laughs> I think that speaks to the power of this writing, that we can have this kind of conversation about it and that kind of interpretation at the end. You know, I miss the points, Tiffany, as you're going through it, of like him showing empathy for people. So maybe that layer to him is there and maybe I'm wrong. Um, but that was, that just, was you yeah, because yeah, you were playing yeah. as him. It was it was really subtle. I mean, you could have totally not seen that. And, and yeah, yeah, like it was it was all very, very subtle. And a lot of times it was only if you like sat and like zoomed in on the piece that you picked up and quote unquote read it and then like put it away. That's when it would trigger huh. his reaction to say something about what he just read, um, oh. especially the one there was the one in the house. I think it was right after um, Ellie rescues him and and uh, you see like the diary pieces in the house or like the little boy that needed to leave and him writing about his family, um, you know, having to evacuate and get lost. And, and Joel expresses, you know, some concern about this little kid that he's reading about when he picks up those pieces of paper. And I, I, fa- I thought that added some really nice layers to his character. But you know, doesn't totally justify his <laughs> Yeah, for me to immerse myself properly in this game, I, I really needed to be able to find ways that I could relate to Joel. Because it was, it was kind of the only way I was going to care about this you know, seeming sociopath. And I found a lot of those places where he does show a touch of empathy. And uh, not to, you know, drag the ending out too much, but it, the immersion was gone at the point where, you know, he's... It, it, there's there's no way that you can find a way to rationalize uh, what he does in the hospital. I would have liked the option to stand down and maybe have the bad ending, or I needed some sort of justification for my actions. You know, if they if they want to make uh, if they're if they're making a movie and they want to make Joel take the make the choices he does, that's fine because you walk out of the movie going, "Wow, well, it turns out he was kind of a huge selfish bastard all along." <laughs> I mean, but you but you see him pet the horse. I mean, how could you hate a guy that pets the horse and like plays oh. the piano? So cute for, for shooting the doctor. You don't think the doctors were evil for wanting in to the kill game? Ellie? I'm the bastard. That's the problem. <laughs> At least in part because I've sunk myself into this character and and I just was suddenly just snapped out of it completely and and I felt. I felt ripped off a little bit for having uh, sort of stuck up for the game for people who were saying, ah, well, you got no control over what, you know, the, anything that happens in this game. And at that point, I realized, you're right, I don't. I, I, am, I am basically just going through this story that somebody else has written, and I have no, no agency whatsoever. Well, the fact that you didn't make the choice at the end, I can understand saying, though, the character and I were out of sync at that point. But saying there's no justification for it, like I said, they're, they're murdering Right. A girl against her will right. for what what as far as we know is a, a slim chance of maybe a cure of something like it's not justified like no it, it, no nor 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 do they wake her up and get her to say you right. know hey here's what we're gonna have can to you do. sign this advance directive you, please right because yes. joel would have gone die. along with it if she was okay with it joel wouldn't right. have uh, joel i mean he would might have argued with her but if she said this is what she wanted to do i feel like their relationship at that point she i don't think he would have no because that's I what happens at yeah. the end of the game yeah, right exactly. at the very end she's yeah. basically saying look is that true and if he says no it's not true maybe she she says, I'm going to go back there someday. Exactly. The way and, I read that scene, though, is that is that she's she's go almost to asking Joel yeah. to tell her the lie. Yeah. She wants oh, the lie. No, no, she wants, no, she wants no, to be told no, no. that she doesn't have to feel really guilty. I really disagree with that. 
She is she's she's a bright, inquisitive girl throughout this whole game. Her defining characteristic is she grew up in this terrible world. She hasn't been outside before. (laughs) Right. She's adjusted psychologically to like the horror of this. And she's not broken in the way people are around her. And she has this this beauty inside her. And she is so inquisitive. Like that is what drives her very nature. So to think that she would just want to close down and not hear this, like I totally believe she's going to find out the truth and turn on Joel. Yeah, like I, I could not. Yeah, it seems like she felt like something was off. She needed to know why it was off. Well, that's the thing. I think she knows the truth. Yeah, she knows something. It felt was off. off. It, it yeah. wasn't. It, the story didn't sound right. So she need. She wanted to know the truth. I think she knows the truth. She is smart. She knows the truth. I mean, the story he tells is is dreadful. <laughs> it's got miles of holes in it and she doesn't she doesn't try to poke holes in his story at all and i think she knows that he's full of it and and at that point I, my opinion just based on the excellent you know facial acting of the polygons mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it looked to me like she was pleading with him to continue to lie to her because oh. she knows she knows that if he tells her the truth she knows that she's going to have to go and submit to the, the surgery and be killed, basically. Well, there's, there's no one to submit to because you killed no, everybody. Because killed anyway, the doctor. But, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> I she doesn't know the that. Reason, the reason that she wanted to be lied to is not because she's like, oh, protect me from the world. She doesn't want to believe that Joel did this bad thing, yeah. essentially. That she, what, she doesn't want to believe that Joel is capable of doing the things that he actually did. So her, her asking him to lie is that, please, Joel, don't be the kind of person I think you're not. Joel is that kind of person. He also <laughs> doesn't want her to believe that he's that kind of person, so he lies to her. So it's kind of a... And you can imagine that lie not lasting very long if the game continues or if there's a sequel or whatever, that things would break down because they both know it's not true. But that's why she doesn't want to know. Not because she wants to be protected from the truth and not have to go back because she's not brave, but because she doesn't want to believe that Joel just did the things he did. And Joel's crappy version of a lie is like, you can see how that's it's going to fall apart. Mm. you know. And that's and that, in that way, it's kind of a, it's a tragic ending in that... Joel just wanted to hold on to this thing, and by having to lie to her about it, uh, this thing he was trying to hold on to is essentially broken anyway. Oh yeah, their relationship's right. already breaking down at that point. It's pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. While well, he's well, and he's trying to hold on to her, and that's the thing that is. I don't know. Although I will say that I felt while I was while I was watching that part that um, the the writers are putting you in that spot, right? The writers are not going to let you have the justification of well, we have to do this, or she said it was okay, or you know anything of that. It is this, this is how it was written, is we're going to leave her sedated because we're the fireflies, and we're going to take out her whole brain, not like a little piece of it, and you know we're going to kick you out. Thanks for bringing her here. Um, this guy, this thug is going to lead you outside and see you later. Smell, smell you later, Joel. Thanks for bringing her. And so he is put in that position because the, the writers want him to have to do that. The, I mean, that is... This is the story for that character. Yeah. It, it, it's a little problematic to me that you have the one live patient who's survived <laughs> through an infection for you know several months. Let's kill and her. The first thing you're going to do is kill her and lose well, any that's opportunity. The same. They don't to know what they're her. doing. It just no, makes it reinforces don't. the notion that yeah. like the chance of success is so low that is no way. And like if she was alive, I would argue it to her exactly the same things. I would say, 
look, these are not the world's best scientists yes. here. Why do <laughs> they have to not. kill you? Look at this hospital. Everything's disgusting. Do you think this is going to work? I think she could be convinced not to sacrifice her brain for... How, how about some blood tests? Then right, how, like, then we how start, about some lymph nodes? Don't go nodes? right to taking out the brain. Yeah. Don't just don't jump to the brain removal. This is not Spock's brain. There are other <laughs> steps along the way that we can do here before we take up a whole brain. And, and what are the brain. odds of the world's best neurosurgeon or, you know, uh, what do they call the people, the CDC type people, the uh, not epidemiologists. But anyway, what are the odds that those people happen to survive? It's probably pretty low. It's just some like probably some like, you know, veterinarian or horse doctor or something who's going to look at slides of her brain <laughs> yeah. under a microscope and go, I don't know. I don't what? know. Fungus, <laughs> maybe some sort of It's fungus. mutated. I know this. Yeah. Yeah. Open the brain. Open the brain. Remove the brain immediately. Oh, should we um any more about the ending or should we talk about the the DLC a little bit? Yeah, I was hoping we'd be able yeah, to talk about that. Yeah, let's let's talk about Left yeah. Behind. Which is a uh a flashback from when Joel is unconscious in the cold shack and uh and then we also get Ellie before um before the whole story happened with a friend and abandoned mall. I I think it's so amazing. Like I have to confess, I've not played this DLC, but I've read a lot about it. I have a lot of friends who are very moved by this DLC. I think it's so notable for so many reasons. I think you have two girls that are kind of having their own adventure together, kind of in their own space and being able to interact with with each other like that, which is just not something that happens in games. I also think there's a a complete lack of, you know, African-American female characters in games. and Except for the uh, one you you shot in the main campaign. Right, yeah, except for the one you killed. And the ones that that shot himself in the main campaign. (laughs) Right. But I I thought that was... I know that this is a DLC I'm very much going to play. Uh, I think that's important, an important kind of story to have, and I, I can't wait to experience that. I, I really like the the like the, just the the you you felt juvenile again. You going through these yeah. worlds with them and playing in the mall, and it really there was no um, inherent feeling of danger during those parts of the scenes in. Uh, in that part of the game and you were just kind of exploring and especially when you're in the Halloween store and trying on masks and doing silly things and breaking windows and the cars, like it just, it felt really kind of freeing and then comparing it to Ellie's uh, struggle on her own, trying to survive without Joel while he's all laid up and she's trying to do what she can to, to survive uh, while she's being kind of chased and hunted um, to like, contrast the two of her being totally carefree with her friend in the mall and just playing around like like the world is completely normal when it's not outside and then you flash back to this hyper aware frightened uh stalked situation and and it was it made you feel a lot of emotions back and forth and it it really deepened ellie's character and oh yeah i just liked it i had it, it was a very good good addition <laughs> Yeah, one of the problems I have with the Bioshock DLC where you played as Elizabeth is they didn't really change the combat up enough for my taste. And it was very obvious that they had just changed the hand animations in front of it. It was mostly the same. Did they did they succeed at when you do fight as her in the in the DLC? Did it feel different or Cause like, I think it I did. You had were, to fight yeah. differently because she has the bow, you know, more. Right. The, she, and, she and she has the knife the too, more. right? 
Yeah, she has the right. knife like permanently. So yeah, you don't need shivs, but you can't take out a clicker with one uh, with one shot with the. Yeah, she she does knife. play differently and she controls differently. And I think the the two Ellies, the, the sort of the the pregame Ellie, mm-hmm. uh, and we know what's going to happen to the pregame Ellie because it's explained in the game that you actually played. So that's kind of like a tragic thing there. But the pregame Ellie, I mean, I guess it's the same model, same textures, but like pregame Ellie and like the 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 uh, the, the frozen mall Ellie seem like two entirely different characters. And like she seems, jumping she back seems and, younger. Yeah, but it's but it's so emotionally different. Like, and the the mm-hmm. mall sequences. She's not as sure are, of herself. You know, she doesn't feel as yeah, confident. Yeah, she doesn't. She play. doesn't act the same way. And mm-hmm. like, the, the, I don't want to ruin the the DLC entirely for, for Brianna, but uh, I mean, I guess I will because like you should have played all spoilers. <laughs> it's coming fine. up, I guess. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, go she's ahead. more but, like, like the tag along in that situation. But, so like a lot friend. of a lot of the gameplay with with the pregame with the younger Ellie. It's not. It's not combat. Like you quickly learn that this is not going to be combat in two different environments. It's going. You you spend a lot. Of, first of all, you do combat in a fighting game that doesn't work because there's no electricity or whatever, and it's like a mentally narrated fighting game. You, there is a working uh, picture photograph machine with Facebook integration, which is creepy, and I didn't like that. But <laughs> you, you spend a lot of the game uh, of the, the 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 younger Ellie doing things that are essentially play play and there's a there's a relationship thing happening there an undercurrent of tension with it it's sort of you know when we were talking about for like the cutscenes where it ambiently unfold with you play acting as the people not in a cutscene that this dlc is almost entirely that and you can go through this whole big joke book on the, on the carousel and i i you know it, telling all all the different jokes to each other and chasing each other around with masks on and playing hide and seek and shooting with the water guns and it builds up to a, you know a satisfying conclusion you know what's going to happen you're going to get chased by the zombies you're going to get bit how many times did you do the magic eight ball <laughs> like, yeah no you spend you, you spend all of the times <laughs> yeah i mean you're and you are essentially you are playing it is it is just play in service of a story and being able to do that it's essentially giving you giving you a little doll playset to role play through this story without having to worry about every three seconds having to take out these people. And that's contrasted <laughs> with the mall, the final mall battle scene, the frozen mall battle scene. It was really hard for me. Even on easy, I found it difficult because the enemies were, they were numerous. They were, they were clever. I, I did have limited ammo at that. That point. was a tough combat. And, yeah. and I, I had hard. to, I had to formulate, I went through that a couple of times to formulate because you have a time limit because they're trying to break through the lock to get to the room where Joel was. So even if I could take them all out, sometimes the time expired in the execution of my plan. That was such a great contrast with the, you know, running around with super soakers in, in the deserted mall. And the deserted mall was, you know, all, all the great, all the things I love about the apocalypse. Everything all still there, <laughs> but all empty and kind of creepy, but kind of like, you know, we're, we're all alone here. It, it's the best episodic content I've played, excluding, I guess, the Walking Dead games, which are a very different thing. The, the, the degree of difficulty for, you know, realistically rendered, uh, environment compared to sort of the cartoonish walking dead thing with like dialogue trees and stuff like it this, the dlc alone is is i think uh would put this game high up on my list of best games ever just because it was so it was so different than the the actual game it just it wasn't just more of that game that you liked all right you sold me 14 dollars. Yeah. i thought it was interesting i really liked that they did some different things with it i i thought the um the video game sequence was fantastically oh, yeah. inspired Absolutely loved that. But ultimately, I thought from a story perspective, it was kind of inessential. I mean, it didn't really add anything to the story we didn't already know. Well, it was, it was background filler. and The fact that you had split timelines in two different malls really didn't come to much. I mean, the, the, really, the only parallels between them were that they were both in malls. It almost felt like they only did that so they'd have a reason to include some combat sequences alongside the other, um, you know, the, the play stuff. 
And then the the relationship with Ellie and Riley almost seemed like a retcon, um, mainly because in the main game, she doesn't seem all that bothered by the fact that a few weeks previously she lost her closest friend. She is. I mean, we hear about it that, at the end. Did you get that sequence in the, yeah, in early in the game? She Joel. talks about the friend that she, she lost and is depressed about the whole, like, yeah. how, how she got bitten and she didn't die, but her friend That's did. That's at the like, very yeah, end of the game. Had, like, survivor's it's, remorse. And it's it's just the very end of the game, and it's it's played incidentally. I mean, you never get the, the feeling that she's walking around lovelorn, you know, for instance. It's not lovelorn. It's just that, like, she is... Like, like Brianna said, like she is a child of a world in which people die all the time, and so it's, she, she is she's more emotionally fraught in the scenes where her friend is mad at her than later in the scenes when her friend is dead. Because people die all the time, but someone who you might have a relationship doesn't get mad at you all the time. So to her, that is more severe than the fact that she died, and she does have survivor's guilt, and she talks about it at the end. But I think that. That is consistent with her character that she's not just moping around all the time because she's a child in a world, but like she's got to scramble around on the rocks to stay alive. Like, you know, survival instinct, people dying all the time. Keep your head up. Do what it takes to stay alive. You know, be uh, be spunky and be have sort of a can do attitude. She's prepared for that. She's not prepared for what happens in that mall with her friend. She's not prepared for her friend to like hurt her feelings and leave and not understand why and not understand these feelings that she's having and everything. So. I, I just feel like me. the importance of that that relationship was was kind of added clearly after the fact because she I mean even she, when she pulls out no pun intended to in the main campaign to to you know regale Joel with those awful puns there's there's not even a pause there that she's pulling out the book that her friend gave her on the day that she died I mean but like isn't the whole fact that she's on this journey to like kind of go sacrifice herself a little bit saying that you know she is doing this in a way of like she's given up. For because of what happened to her friend, you know, like you only kind of go on a quest like that when you yeah. feel like, oh, everything's gone. Like, yeah, I guess I can say I can I can do this thing, you know, otherwise wouldn't wouldn't you be like, oh, we're going to deliver you to a hospital. And so don't worry, girl, just come with us. You'd be like, hell no, I'm out of here and like just leave and hide. But she goes along with it. So it's almost like that's that's her form of giving up in the whole time, you know, the the whole entire uh, campaign in the, in, the, in the main game. Hmm. That's how I see it. Anyway. Yeah, I could see that. I just it just didn't seem like it was entirely necessary to the story, which well, it's not. Which it's is fine. I mean, it's content, DLC. Like, it's it's it, a side it's, story. It's the best kind of content where you wanted to fill in the things that you know happened, but you don't know how they happened, and that's why I'm glad it wasn't just a series of like the regular game. Okay, because you'd be like, what am I playing through? I already know the beginning of the story. I already know the end of the story. You have to make the stuff in the middle different and compelling. And I thought the stuff with young Ellie was very different from the regular game and compelling. I will say I really appreciated the fact that they managed to pack, I think, more comedy into the DLC than they did into the entire uh, main campaign. There's there's something sadly hilarious about that uh, that smiling doctor on the, the cardboard cutout sign that says, we have flu shots in the pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> And then at the uh, American Princess Dolls store, there's unicorn riding lessons among the menu of services that you can get. And then there's a, 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 there's a case of football lager beer on the, uh, in <laughs> one of the houses, which I think is my favorite fake brand name item. Having uh, just looked at, the, at the, a video of, the, of uh, the DLC, the thing that impressed me about it, I, I'm a sucker for uh, tricks of uh, color and like film grading. And I really liked the fact that when we're before the game starts in the flashback, the colors are all warm and nice, and uh, and then they're not in the 
abandoned wintry <laughs> it, mall. It is, it is literally freezing cold. And they, and they yeah. had a side story in the mall, even of like the the uh, the whoever was the private or corporal or whatever who right. got infected and his friends staying with him and how that plays out. And you read all. I mean, I guess and I was doing the same thing. The duck work and he's all ugh, all the blood. Yeah, read, reading all the different diary entries and hearing all the little audio journals, which is a little like, oh, you found an audio recorder and someone happened to. I know it's a little you know a game cliche, but I, I enjoyed that even even in the mall, even as they've still said there were other people here if you would like to know how things turned out for them other than the fact that they died you could find out that they were they were real people too and they tried to make choices and tried to do things and here's exactly how it didn't work out for them i've always liked that style of storytelling ever since i think system shock pioneered it where you're 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 witnessing something really awful has happened here and then you pick up scraps of it in the people in the voice of the people who actually lived through it along the way i think that's great it's really powerful stuff yeah, it's like a little miniature version of Gone Home inside this game, essentially. It's cheap to produce too. So excellent. Yeah, although, although it's yeah, not yeah, cheap. Yeah. To, like, I mean, it may not. It may be cheap, but getting someone who can write and people who can do the voice acting and not sound terrible, like witness uh, this wizard came from the moon. Like you know, even even big name <laughs> actors have trouble with. Like it, it's you know it, it's so we take it for granted, especially if you don't play games a lot. But if you play enough mm-hmm. games, like. The fact that, that that all of the voice acting was at the very least competent, and you're like, rejoice! This is amazing! I can't believe this happened. And some of it is really good, and it just, you are the master of unlocking. I I, <laughs> I I hear what you're saying, and it's you know like bringing a voice actor into your studio isn't super expensive. I mean, though these are like real Screen Actors Guild people here, but it's it's cheaper to like write some things and have them read it out than to like create a scripted sequence where you're doing like let me set the parameters here if the player crosses in or out of it then other variables are going to trick like it's a lot it's much cheaper to do it it feels more naturalistic too actually because you wouldn't like i there's not much if you it all happens in your head it's like reading a book if you did find this and read it you can you can make it in your head how it would go rather than you know them uh trying to show you that happening in a flashback or having something happen mechanically like yeah, like, and it's, I, I think it's effective, but that's not the main thing that's going on. And you don't have to read any of that stuff. You can just continue playing through the game, kill the people, try to get Joel out. But if you're the type of person who likes to sort of do like in game archaeology to find out what happened, and that, that I think, speaking of, you know, affecting how, how you play Joel is how you think of him. Uh-huh. If you, as Joel, do not do those things, it makes Joel not the kind of person who does those things. You know what I mean? Totally. But if you, yeah, but if you, but if you, as Joel, seek out these things like Tiff was doing and I was doing, of just like reading, like it changes how you think of Joel because you're like, oh, Joel really cares about how these people live because he's going through every drawer, every <laughs> single drawer in every bedroom looking for little scraps of paper. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else we should talk about that we haven't that we haven't covered? I have a whole pile of notes, but I I can't go through them all. I did want to say the. Uh, I just wanted to give some props to the menu screen. Oh, I, I love it. You're right. I, I, was, I had <laughs> that, that in my notes as well. It's one it's of my so favorite. It's so evocative. It's screens. fantastic. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's that shot of the window. You've got the nice, you know, not overbearing music playing. And you're looking at paint flaking off the rotting walls. You're looking at ivy growing through the shattered window pane. There's flies and dust motes sort of drifting about. Curtains are wafting gently in the breeze. It, it, it conveys everything that is wonderful and awful about the game's world in a single image. Yeah, and it's not an image of like a guy with a gun standing in front of an exploding zombie. Like it's right. just it, there's no people in the scene at all. You know, that's that's the confidence to put that as their splash screen and not to have like rock and roll music and a picture of Joel's gruff face with Ellie standing off to the side or something like that is not what this game is about. No people at all. And that you can tell that was once a happy home like with the white right. fence and everything like that. And it's still 
kind of happy home, but not like it's decaying and the wind is blowing, but the sun is out. And like later when you get the DLC, there's a little knife in the in the thing. You know, I forget what they huh. put in it. They put a knife. It changes after you after you get through the DLC, or maybe when you finish the game to have something else there. Oh, I didn't notice that. It's playing that spare the spare music that also is the soundtrack, which we should mention. People uh, generally love, which is by a uh, Academy Award winner, uh, Gustavo Santaolalla. Oh, Gustavo, sure, Gustavo, your buddy. Um, I like that Gustavo. So he he he's won two best scores, and he did that. And I like I like how spare it is, and when it comes in, it just makes me feel sadder than I already feel about how it's the end of the world and everybody's yeah. trying to kill me. And, and even the combat music, when I have the stinger that plays, like if eventually you unconsciously come to recognize the audio cues that the game gives you to indicate that enemies are are around. Like you don't yeah. even have to use the listening thing or whatever. And you hear the same things, and it's repeated throughout the entire game. It doesn't get old, but you do come to notice it. But it is very effective musically, and that it's not like all of a sudden it's time for the drums to pick up. It's not like that. It's more like what I forget. I can't do an impression of that stinger, but like it's it makes the hairs in the back of your neck stand up because you know, uh oh, something's up here, and I have to I have to go into a different mode. If you had just been conversing or you know looking at the giraffes or whatever you were doing before, like now now it's time it's survival mode, and I, I thought that was a good musical proxy for the way people who are alive before the apocalypse must feel and that like there's the old you who had the, the old you set of instincts and there's the new you who has the new you set of i have to survive something might be killing me set of instincts and that music was the transition point at least in my fictionalized version of joel of like if he was drifting back into like his own humanity or whatever when the music went he's like no actually you're you're a caged animal trying to survive here and it's time for you to get back down to business there was a there was a quote that when Trent Reznor was doing the the soundtrack to the original Quake, it wasn't really the soundtrack as much as it was the sound effects. And Trent Reznor said, "There is there we're not having music in our levels. Trust me, you're not going to want music." And I didn't understand that at the time. And when I was playing this game, I kept thinking about that quote because. There's so much exploring, but there isn't that musical bridge of like, you know, a cool jazzy tune to like keep you going. It's just quiet. It's the ambient noise. And I thought it really spoke to the the confidence that the that they had in the actors and in the ambient sounds around you that they didn't really need to give you a lot of music. Even in, in battles, uh even battles with bosses. Like I was I was amazed that there wasn't that hardcore, you know, tr- you know, track coming in with a lot of minor chords. It was it was very minimal, and I thought that really spoke to. I, th- I thought it was a good choice. Yeah, the environmental sounds are the soundtrack, really. I like the fact that the one load screen at the beginning, <clears throat> which is just the cloud of infectious spores blowing through, sort of felt like a parody of the standard PS3 theme. <laughs> it seems to move in a similar way and i thought i wonder if they're taking a little you know a little poke at the the standard theme there i, I um, spent a long time watching those little PS3 particles i, I like yeah. that part. it's that mesmerizing particle effect was yeah it is i mean you know it's a loading screen whatever right and sometimes they have you play a little arcade game but like i found myself sufficiently entertained I thought by, it was by those little flex yeah it was but it's, and you're it's like, great hey. too because that represents death that's blown by you there basically 
I just wanted to mention a few more things. Um, I appreciated the fact that the outdoor chef in the Boston uh, quarantine zone was really doing some excellent spatula work on the rat that he's frying. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't they didn't have to uh, animate the guy like flipping the rat over and like patting it down with his spatula. But they did never press the rat. It makes all the juices go. out. It's true. That's the problem. But, you know, these guys, they're, they're not sophisticated chefs. They just they do what they have to. Um, I like the fact that tucked away in one corner of the Boston QZ, there's a little girl playing with a stuffed giraffe, which is nice foreshadowing for the big giraffe oh, scene. Yeah. That was I missed that. I missed and there's that. also in the toy store where they find the little transformer toy, there's a, uh, there's a rack that's knocked over that has a giraffe painted on it. There's a, there's several giraffe references mm. throughout, which is kind of cool. Um, I thought the whole sequence where you're hanging upside down from the chain in Lincoln is is really great and disorienting, even though it was yes. basically lifted whole cloth from Dead Alive, but it's still so good that I, I didn't mind that. It's fun to shoot upside down. It is. I mean, it really changes things a lot more than you would think. Um, I thought it was a really interesting creative choice that they decided not to change Pittsburgh at all. <laughs> <laughs> no need. It's just like that. Oh, God. I wanted to give props to my favorite line of dialogue, which is Ellie is the little girl that broke your f-ing finger. Oh, yeah, um, that's great. Where she snaps David's finger off at the at the knuckle. That's good stuff. Um, it strikes me that if you're trying to keep your secret gorilla group a secret, maybe the logo dog tags and armbands aren't the best idea. <laughs> they can't help themselves. They have to tag like graffiti artists. Might just be me. Did you see the painting of the? So they they basically rendered the uh, the the snow scene with Ellie with the bow and the deer. And then put a picture of that without Ellie in it as a painting in one of the houses that you find. Oh, on. really? Yeah. That's what I get from wandering the halls and looking at every mm. single. <laughs> they have so much stuff that like we have in our house. Like I saw things in the the houses that we have in our house. Like some of the kid toys. I'm like, oh, you I should clean your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have one of those little yeah. giraffes. Yeah. yeah, the Jeffrey giraffe thing. No, no. One of those um, push carts. Like it's like a car that you can push them in. They had like those yeah. in the. They also have only one door that works and nobody ever closes it. It's weird. Clever <laughs> close the doors. Yeah. Oh, I was when I was playing on Easy, I was desperately looking for the window from the menu screen. It's got to be there somewhere. Ah. I'm sure somebody has found it at this point on the internet, but I was all looking the, for all it. All the windows are the menu from the menu screen. Yeah, but there's they all have subtle differences. I was really looking for it, and uh, I, haven't, I haven't run across it yet, but I feel like it's got to be there somewhere. If it's not, yeah. they missed out. I, I think that is a custom-rendered window for the, for the opening scene. I'm not sure, like... I don't know if they if they have like a downsampled version of that. I think. That oh yeah, yeah. The detail obviously is way too much to actually be in game looking exactly like that. But it's the the window itself. You know, the basics of it has to be somewhere. If if they if they didn't do that, they missed a huge opportunity. Well, okay. So we have covered a lot of ground here, and I think uh, it's been a great conversation. And uh, we're going to wrap it up. So I'd like to thank my guests for this um, nice conversation about a. Really depressing. I got to say everything. I it. It's like, oh God, back to the end of the oh. world. Kind of a beautiful, but depressing. I mean, this we talk about the apocalypse all the time. This we have our apocalypse book club, and here we got apocalypse game club. But uh, so, thank you to my uh, fellow survivors of the apocalypse, Steve Lutz. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here, Jason. Thanks for playing it. Thanks for playing it a second time to remind yourself of playing it. It was. I got to admit, it's a little hard to get back to this game after playing it once. Mm. It's. Uh, it's something where you really need to take a break from time to time and kind of go smell some flowers, see some sunshine, yeah. you know, hug your kids. Remind yourself that the zombie apocalypse has not yet happened. Trying to cram it all into the last few days has been a little rough, but it's yeah. okay. All right. Open a I'll beer. I'll be better soon. I'll be better yeah. soon. Yeah. Brianna Wu, thank you for being here. 
Thank you. If you like me rambling on about technical stuff in video games, I have a show on 5x5, which is isometric. So you can hear me do this every week. Every single week. That's a great show. I am listening. I am a regular listener now. Are you really? I am. I think we have a lot of fun on that show. It is. And Panda references. I, you know, I can't speak for what's up with Georgia with that, so we'll just wish her the best. Fair enough. <laughs> Tiffany Arment, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this game with us. Thanks. This is super. This is my new favorite hobby. So, oh, what nice. are we playing next? I'm ready. I don't know. We get, we're gonna we're recruiting more people who actually play games. I need something to do during nap. So nice. Not my nap. My son's nap. <laughs> and John Syracuse, thank you very much. As always, I know you like these video game episodes when we finally do them. Yeah. So we did one. Look. Yeah, the one thing I forgot to say about this game, speaking <laughs> of Steve having taking breaks, is that the way I played this, I'm all about the atmosphere. I played it at night with all the lights off when my wife was out of town. So oh, the, yeah. the sense of loss <laughs> that my family was gone. The kids are in bed, <laughs> oh. they're asleep. My wife was out of town. She's been away for a week because she's been traveling a lot recently. That's how I played this entire game. Did you break out some windows and turn over the furniture? And and that's what I would recommend. Yeah, if you play this game with the lights on, you're doing it wrong. And you can't have anybody in the room with you either. That completely destroys it. And if if your spouse can be out of town at the same time and you can be sad because you miss them, that also helps enhance the atmosphere. Recommended. All right. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to the incomparable talk about The Last of Us for all this time. We'll see you next time. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Goodbye. See ya. You know, I try to not have episodes of The Incomparable last two hours, but we went for about two and a half hours with The Last of Us. So you've reached the end of the real episode, the official, little more than an hour length. Uh, but we have a whole lot more, so I'm just attaching to the end of this episode. This isn't even like a bonus track. This is like a whole alternate episode where we talk a lot about gameplay and how the the game is put together and a lot more technical stuff about gameplay and a lot less about storytelling. So if you want more of The Last of Us, just keep listening. So can I ask, uh, has anyone else here played the Uncharted games, particularly Uncharted 2 and 3? I've played most of Uncharted 2, and I don't like it. So, yeah, what, you know, um, you know, like many of you guys, I didn't play this when it was released last year. I was in the middle of ship. It's been a shrink wrap on my shelf for literally a whole year. And, you know, I I heard that this was like a wonderful story game. I heard things like every single encounter is going to make you feel like really terrified and ammo is going to be really, really scarce. And I heard that over and over again. And as someone who makes video games for a living, I was really surprised to put this game in and to see it it having so much in common with Uncharted, uh, especially with the combat. Um, It feels practically the same. Like you're, you're, it's the same static mesh libraries. Like they've dirtied them up. It's literally some of the same assets from the other game. Like as you're going through the, Boston Museum, it's the same thing. And I was severely disappointed by how much combat was in this game. I mean, you're just murdering everything in sight. And it's like, I was really expecting something. It would be a a tense 
thriller where I would really try to avoid combat. And it's just not that game at all. It's just as action packed as a Resident Evil 5. Yeah, I found like even <laughs> well, even though when you're not like, you know, aggressively killing people, you still have to like sneak around, but you still end up killing people in yeah. the end after you're sneaking. Like you can't just get by and leave right. everyone alive. Um, yeah. Although I didn't mind that. But that's me. But there's not that many people to kill. Like it's not like it's not like Serious Sam or something. We have a million enemies flying at you. Like each encounter has, and they're not infinitely respawning enemies either. So each encounter has a set number of people that you have to deal with, and sometimes that number is very low. And I found, especially early on in the game, I was also surprised by the the difficulty of the combat, especially in the early levels. You figure, well, they'll ramp up slowly, but in the beginning of the game, I was. I found like even even they just stood like one like one or two of the what are they the slow moving guys one or two stalkers plus a clicker and I was actually like afraid of the clickers because they yeah. were a much more threatening yep. enemy and it was like three people on the whole map and so even though it seems like oh there's a lot of combat and it is difficult and this gets back to the whole skill barrier to enjoyment that I totally understand a lot of people like Jason who would find the combat difficult enough even on the super easy settings that it just ruins the game for them because there is a lot of it and if you can't do it you're spending the whole game frustrated with the fact that you can't move on to the next story beat but uh, it was tuned reasonably well for me in that like i said a room with three enemies in it one of which was one of the tougher kind that was enough to make an enjoyable encounter for me and if i think about all the other games that i play where you really do like mow down you know dozens of people like it's nothing even in a game like half-life you're mowing down way more people than this uh I, I thought it worked. Now, there's a little bit of sameness in that, like, okay, there's only a couple of enemy types, and you're going to see them repeatedly. And at a certain point, you're like, all right, I would really just like to get to the next story beat instead of having to go through these two people. But, you know, like Steve said, eventually you get interesting weapons, and you can uh, try alternate strategies. You can't go full, like, no-kill stealth to complete this game, as far as I know. Well, there uh, are places where you can. There are certain encounters where you can sneak out without without necessarily yeah. having to kill everybody. Yeah, like when you're in that subway, mm-hmm. and down in the subway, you can like sneak through most of right. those. Right, yeah. And then there's yeah. the, the basement of the Except hotel the where end. you can you can actually, if you can avoid the stalkers, you can get out of there without taking out everybody. You have to, I think you actually have to get uh, past a bloater at one point if you're on normal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually avoid him and, and the rest of the guys in that section. Hmm. But sometimes really? you do where have to that? kill, and you don't, and you don't know which is which. You don't know, this is, is this a, one of those times where I have to kill, or is this one of those times where I can sneak by? right. The first yeah. loader was in the high school, right? This the is the gym? second one. This is the one down in the, uh, you f- you fall, the, the oh, elevator yeah, you collapses totally get in past, the hotel. You just run past Pittsburgh. him. You can just get out of there. Right. That's right. But, and you have to put know, on the generator, I, yeah. I mean, I agree with you, John, especially for the for the first third of the game, like while you're in Boston. I found that combat excellent, like sneaking up on people. Do I have enough shivs to like take on this clicker? Right. I thought that was awesome. But where the game fell, um, I won't say fell apart, where where the thing I enjoyed the most about the game stopped being in the game was as soon as you got the shotgun. And then it was like. If you're near clicker, like I'm constantly given shotgun ammo, like let's just wait for them to get close and bam, shoot them in the head. And I felt like at that point, it really just turned into, it was so close to the Uncharted combat engine at that point, where literally it's bullet sponge enemies again, like enemies you'll shoot in the head two or three times with the pistol that aren't clickers, like they're just normal people and they'll still come after you. I mean, it's, it just, it breaks the illusion for me. Well, there's a lot of stuff breaking the illusion here. But if, like, you used a, a loud weapon like that, wouldn't, you know, the swarm come? Like, everything Yeah, I was would... saying, you, you must be a heck of a lot better with a shotgun than I am, because yeah, if I I'm firing off everything. shotguns, I've got, like, 14, uh, 14 stalkers or runners chasing me down. <laughs> then I'm me just too. taking and off. Then, 
Yeah, you have to kill them stealthily, otherwise you're no, you're overtaken. Yeah, really, there's fast. a lot of crowd really? management in the a lot of crowd management in the game where you mm-hmm. have to sort of <laughs> have situational awareness with that silly key they have to say like how many people are here, where are they, and herd them sort of. So like if I do this, you know, you have like I spend a lot of the game doing that silly thing where you throw a little rock and it makes a noise and they, and they go over there. Like you, every time I I tried to just run in with guns blazing, it didn't work out well for me. Like it, <laughs> it, you know. Maybe if you had, you know, I I don't know. Maybe if you're better at this type of control scheme, I'm not good at this type of control scheme. I don't like it, but I would I would plan my attacks and I would sort of herd the enemies in the way. Even the humans, like you could hurt because they're a silly AI, right? So you can you can figure out what their awareness radius is and and, and formulate a plan of attack. Now, uh, even though I enjoyed that, and it, and again, I would say it's not like Resident Evil Four. Resident Evil Four was like zombies coming, you have to kill them. There's a million of them. They're coming at you. Like it's much more intense in that way. This was like. There are four guys out there, especially the humans. I found the humans much more threatening and, and dangerous to me than the zombies. Because once you figure out the zombies and how to deal with them, you can kind of plan it out. But the human AI was uh, much more aggressive, to say the very least. I, mm-hmm. I had to, you know, I had to really plan my attacks against the humans. Especially, I thought in the, uh, I think this was in the DLC, which we'll talk about in the end. A lot of human encounters there really gave me trouble, uh, and I was turning it down to easy because I was like, I, you know, again, I wanted to get through the game, and I, the combat was not my reward. It wasn't like I, I like the visceral experience of combat, but I did like the fact that I felt threatened by small numbers of enemies. Well, the human AI would be stealthy too. They they would think for themselves, and they would they would get behind objects. Yeah, and, they would flank you. With, yeah, with they would like yeah. work in teams and tell each other where to go. I use that listening feature so much to get through oh, the, yeah. to get through levels. Like you it, and I, I found it's the kind lack of your of only ammo. hope, really. With, yeah, without that, you're in deep trouble. The lack of ammo, ammo, the stealth. It, it made you use this the stealth ability instead of just going in guns blazing and killing everything. And I really like that part of the game. I thought it was great because there are a couple games out there that. You know, they have those features, but if you just go in and you're quick with a knife and start stabbing everybody, you could just like plow through a level. But this definitely wasn't like that. I mean, the stealth was always the most efficient way to kill somebody, right? Because then you're not upsetting a crowd, then you're not having, you know, it's all quiet. So when you were able to to sneak up on somebody and do that, like that was the best, Um, I guess. Maybe it just comes down to the way we played it. Like, I've played so much Resident Evil 4, 5, and 6 at this point that maybe I'm kind of going in aggro when I didn't need to. I think that's probably it, because I felt it was... I thought, I thought I felt it was pretty well-balanced, uh, well for me anyway. Hmm. And I don't play a whole lot of um, of this type of game without a mouse and keyboard. So that probably added to it a little bit for me. Um but in terms of it taking me out of the game, I, the combat didn't really do that for me. The fact that my uh, my teammates were invisible <laughs> to uh, it, I, I really enjoyed the fact that uh, that that Tess and Ellie and some of the later NPCs were actually contributing in combat, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and that seemed really really cool to me right up until the moment that I realized that they were like running around making loud circles around the clickers in the subway <laughs> area and and were completely not being noticed. Or we're standing like right out in the open as a as a as an enemy was sort of gradually creeping up on them right out in plain sight. Now I I mentioned in my confession that I played this uneasy and failed. Um, what was the difficulty level that all of you used used in this? I think Tiff, you were on, you were on uh, on difficult. Brag about it, come on. Yeah, uh, yeah, played the whole thing on hard. Yeah, look at that, yeah. awesome, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's just my, that's just the way I like to play games because I just feel like <laughs> just I if I can, no, because if I can make it through the hard, uh-huh. then I feel like I completed the game. I don't have to do it again. Yeah. 
But Except now there's survival easy, mode. I feel like I need to do it again. Yeah, I know. They have two different survival, and then there's one over that. There's it's a like, new one they added, I think, afterwards it's as like part of a patch. Malicious, insane level or something. <laughs> I didn't even try them yet. I didn't even. So. Right. You get one bullet as that, that yeah. final level. <laughs> and you have no health. You just, if they shoot you, you die, which I did you, notice. You like, you have to, right? I shoot this guy, and he dies. They shoot me like five times. Uh, I, I'm still working. That's easy, I guess. But I have to say, I went through a lot of the sections. Like, I. It took me some of them very long time. I did them over and over and over again until I got it right. I mean, I think the game took me 25 hours total because well, I was just so... That's not bad. I was sh- I was just... I just needed to get through it all. And mm-hmm. also, I'm a collector. If you're playing on that level, you have to be looking at every spare corner for ammo, even oh, if you yeah. weren't out, out to collect. Oh, I'm such a hoarder. And I love games that make <laughs> you like hoard things. Like I just think it's fantastic. I was so into that part. I like building weapons. I like uh, finding little pieces of paper that help you open up little safes and getting upgrades. And I just feel all pat myself on the back that I found all these hidden things, you know, so I'll spend a lot of time in games finding all that stuff. And I like that. I like it because there's a level designer that worked really, really hard Uh to create every single part of that game. And for me, the fun is like going through there and seeing the way that they you know, placed all their static meshes or they did their lighting in different places. So that's a mechanic I really like too, to like explore the the limits of the world they created, but also because I also have that hoarding tendency. So <laughs> I love seeing all the empty rooms too. The yeah. stuff that's just, yeah. There's just nothing in there, but it's so beautiful and like intricate and detailed. And they spent all this time making an empty room that had nothing in it. It was just fun to explore. And they didn't look too repetitive either. Yeah, there are a lot of sections where you you just have to run through. There's no way you can even stop and and experience the rooms, and yet they're there. Mm -hmm. You can turn into a blind alley and find this gorgeously rendered, beautiful room full of interesting trash and body parts. And and it's just there because somebody made it, you know, but you're, you're never expected to spend any time in there. It's just the level of detail is just amazing. Yeah, I, I guess there were several I, points where yeah. I just stopped and, and thought, I cannot believe like the level of detail in this in this and it just it's relentless. Like there there every corner you go around, there there are more impressive uh details and these sets are um yeah, I was I was kind of blown away by that. That was that was pretty impressive. Everybody else at normal difficulty? Yeah, I played it normal for the for the same reason uh that Brianna said, which is I think it was Brianna, um, mm-hmm. that, that basically if that's normal, then that's sort of the default level. That's the right. level that they're expecting most people to play at. So yeah. if, if I went for easy, I, I felt like I would presumably be missing something. And it worked out perfectly for me. It's just about the right level of, of difficulty. Mm-hmm. I, I had to replay a few combat sequences two or three times and some of the harder ones, a, a few more than that. But it, it never got horribly frustrating. Um, and when I played it uh, this week as kind of a run-up to this podcast, just to sort of remind myself, because I played it a long time ago, uh, I played it on easy because I wanted to blast through it. And I was I was amazed at how how many fewer things there actually are coming after you in the easy level. It's it's mm-hmm. much less difficult. Like that, uh, I was talking about that bloater in the hotel in uh, in Pittsburgh, and it's just not there mm-hmm. on easy. His his little mm-hmm. den with all of the uh, the fungus growing on the wall that looks like you know, bloater central is there, but he doesn't pop up. And I was all braced walking down that hallway towards the, the, the card reader door going, okay, the bloater's coming. The bloater's coming. I know he's coming. I remember he was there last time. And then I got to the end and I was like, huh? <laughs> so I ran my little card through and I was like, oh, okay. It is well, easy mode. Welcome to my world, Steve. <laughs> I started, I started the game on normal, but I switched to easy once I felt like, okay, I've, 
I've gotten, I understand this game's combat now. I've seen all the different enemies. I fought them all in many different groups and formations. Now I just, I'm more, I'm more interested in the progression of the game and the settings and the story than I am in having yet another knockdown drag out. Like eventually my tolerance for doing a combat more than once went down to zero. And I was like, well, yeah. let me just switch to easy. So I, and, and I don't mind that. Like if, if I'm in a game where I get through every combat encounter without dying on the first try, that's okay with me. Like it's, it's kind of like, you know, especially if if the game is narrative, I, it's like not having to go back and reread a chapter. If you're in it for the combat, like if someone like Tiff who's getting most of the reward out of the combat, then it's I not do. then it's good. It's good to have to redo it because then you're getting more of the thing you like. But at a certain point, I just wanted to progress, so I, I switched to easy. I'll even redo a level if I didn't feel like I did a good job. Like even if I completed it and I don't think I yeah. did a good job, I'm like, oh, I could have killed that guy way better. I have that feeling sometimes <laughs> where like if I didn't if I didn't get enough, if it's a type of game that has like if you get through this level in a certain way and come out of it with this amount of health, it will really help you later or this items that will help you later in the game. And then I'll feel like, oh, I have to replay that because I feel like I could go through it without getting hit or getting these two items and not lose. But this game didn't have that that uh, thing going for me. So I felt like if I got through a level and I was alive, I was fine. And oh, I had like all nor- the things. Normal, I needed yeah, all the things. Normal wore me down. Yeah, I, I did. I did find myself collecting the diary entries and stuff, things that contributed to the story. Uh, yeah. I, I found myself searching for those, and I did find myself wandering through the world a lot, looking at the detail. This game, like it should be said, that this is like essentially the the swan song of the previous generation of game consoles. This is a game made by a company that that has essentially mastered the PS3. Like they had the entire life of the PS3 to figure out that game. They did all the Uncharted games they know how it works they have an engine they have a workflow they have artists it is the best looking game i've ever seen on the ps3 it is really, really? the very end of, of the life i haven't seen a lot of ps3 games but i i think it looks amazingly good it do, it does have bathtub levels like they are all bathtubs i mean in the, in the old days with smaller consoles you would see oh this level is a giant bathtub because so, so i can't see you know every, everything at the edge of the level has giant walls invisible otherwise or mountains or trees or something that's fencing me in the bathtub is huge in this, but it's still a bathtub. And so you can kind of see how are they able to render, render this amount of detail on a PS3? Well, a lot of it is fake with, you know, that's really just kind of a matte painting over there. And you can't really go. It's not it's not an open world game. You can't wander anywhere you want. It is fairly linear and you are going through a series of bathtubs, but the bathtubs look awesome, I think. So I, I, I guess I, the way I felt as someone that does this, this stuff is I felt I... It's like when you make games, it ruins your ability to like see it freshly <laughs> the way other people do. But I saw, I saw them recycling tons of their static meshes from Uncharted games, and I was I was really impressed with the vert count they were able to like cram into individual sections. But I saw them constantly using light tricks to like hide a lack of detail in some places, and I saw fog to like stop you from like not looking at low-res textures. I saw, like, I posted a water effect uh, that I thought was not the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And I I was impressed with the level designers, the way that they took their static mesh library and kind of pieced it together, like, with ivy growing on walls so it looks like a natural barrier for you. Um, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this is... I would give this game a 9 out of 10, but I... I don't know. I you're, you're like a magician I, who who right. knows how the how, how most of the tricks are done. Because I would yeah. I would say isn't that you part the of the made. understanding of the of the well magicians don't usually make sausage. But I totally get your point. Right, <laughs> the good ones do. Right. The yeah. Good, yeah. Well, the best you All don't even know how they did it. Sausage. Where'd that sausage come from? So um, no, but you don't this is what know. no, you don't want to know. This is what John was sort of saying. I think is like those are some of the tricks they use to hide the limitations of. 
what they did right there was a little bit of asset repetition within the game itself like i don't haven't played enough of the uncharted games to know whether they came from other games but within the game like the amazing thing is the sheer amount of content that's in this game like you said yourself it's a long game it has multiple settings and they they, the look they're going for is essentially realism so anytime they repeat the same chair or desk or wallpaper pattern you're going to notice and they do it but like some poor sucker had to like just the amount of human effort in putting all this content in these levels like you said there's things you run past that you're never even going to look in that someone put all the content in there and they don't look like cut cookie cutter rooms i mean like i said occasionally you'll see the same soda can or the same little dirty corner texture or whatever i thought i would see way more of that i thought i would see way more oh every time i go into a room i'm always gonna know the dirty corner looks like this right because it's just you know one or two like there's just so much content in this game that I forgive anything. If there's some hidden little corner where it looks like there's a bad seam or like they put everything in super dark lighting so you can't see how terrible it looks, there's so, I, I just every time I look at this game, I'm like, wow, some poor guy had to arrange all these things <laughs> and paint all these unique textures and make all these little animations and make sure like and the lighting the looks fans. right from all these angles. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I. I I I I forgive almost any sort of flaw I see in this thing because, like I said, it's not an open world game. It's not like they're doing procedurally generated anything. Some somebody handmade each one of these levels lovingly, and I basically I see every dollar that they spend on this game up on the screen, especially when it's on the PS3, a previous gen console. I really enjoyed the fact that Ellie and Tess and all these people didn't die for the most part if you didn't take care of them like you you didn't spend your entire time babysitting them you didn't have to repeat levels over and over again because ellie died because that would have killed the game and really when i was fighting i was you know she would try to stay near me and she would like i would i didn't have to worry about her i knew she would like stick to my side i didn't have to worry that she would go off and decide to try to kill things in another room and die because we weren't communicating like i so it's that, not eco. That, it's not eco, is what you're saying. Well, no, obviously, in, in eco, it's a different relationship, <laughs> Nothing is eco, and, and, and you're and you get to pull her hand along or whatever. But uh-huh. like, it's I like the fact that it like because when when your psychic character dies, like that's when I've heard it hates escort missions. Uh, it takes you out of the game because you're like, oh, a person wouldn't have done that. Why are you going off and doing something? You know, it's not, in, in eco, the things were coming to get her. But anyway, I I felt like she was a real person there because i didn't have to engage with her as a as an npc as a video game npc i could engage with her as a, a regular person uh during these sort of naturalistic cutscenes, and then during the combat i got to concentrate on let's get us through this by me taking out these people without worrying so much about is she caught on a corner back there and didn't actually follow me right because her pathfinding is crappy Sometimes she could even be an asset. She gave me health a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she shoots uh, things too. Yeah, she and she, when she got when she had the gun, she shoots things and you know, which is which is a nice fantastic. character progression. I mean, de- definitely when we talk about the characters here, um, you know, Joel is. I mean, it's a really nice build because he's reluctant to go. He's just doing it to get to to get the you know ammo or whatever he's going to get that that he and uh, and Tess are going to get, and he's reluctant. And then over a while, you know what's going to happen. He 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 warms up to her, and he's trying to take care of her, but he doesn't want her to shoot. And there's this feeling like you know whether you know whether he doesn't want to ruin her innocence or whether he doesn't trust her with with weaponry. And then and then there's that progression where she has to use. Uh, what is it? A rifle? Uh, for the first thing that she uses, and then he finally gives her a gives her a gun and and lectures her about how to use it. And it's this really nice progression that leads to her having to take care of him. But she's you know she suddenly is very useful once she actually has the gun. In fact, I found myself saying, "Give the girl a gun. <laughs> I need some help. I would like some help on this level. Give her a gun." But n- not yet. 
we had to yeah, wait especially since joel was threatened for much of the game too it's not like joel's like stand aside little lady i know joel was <laughs> constantly in fear of death as well like yeah. we're all in this together everyone is and i was feeling the same thing it's like whatever you know uh sort of paternalistic instinct he has towards her it's like it's getting me killed i would be happier if she had a gun and could back me up <laughs> in this scenario you know see i couldn't help but see that it's like i mean have you guys played Resident Evil 4 with like Ashley who nearly ruins the game because yeah, she's constantly yeah. getting killed? Mm, and yep. I saw just like there were times where I would fire a shotgun next to like a player that was near me. And I I know that I would hit them and the game would magically hit the zombie instead. And I saw that as like a consequence of playtesting where I would imagine in like some build you would cause damage to your your AI partners and they just said forget it people just want to have fun let's just not have these characters getting hurt um occasionally there'll be a plus sign near them meaning they need help but I I saw that as just like a consequence of playtesting, just like making them never in danger. So, yeah, and that's a better choice know. than what other games do for friendly fire, where you accidentally hit one of your your teammates in the back of the head, and the guy will go, "Ow, quit it!" On a shot that yeah, yeah, killed yeah. an enemy. Yeah, like it's yeah, best not. Yeah. Let's just not draw attention to it. Like because I feel like in the heat of combat, you're not thinking about that. If if you are not mentally aiming at friendlies. It shouldn't let you accidentally hit them, like because that well, takes you out when of the friendlies. The, sometimes, the like run directly in front of you and kneel <laughs> yeah. down an inch from your yeah. face. Right, right. Yeah, she seems younger. She seems less capable. Again, I don't know if they use the right, the same animation. I think it's a zbrush pass that they did on it. That's how they aged Joel. It's the same skeletal mesh. They just did a zbrush pass on. Oh, zbrush pass. Yeah, yeah, it I mean, makes it look more weathered and wrinkled. Well, yeah, yeah, like painting painting the creases into his his you know, near his eyes. That's just a normal map that you but, know is faking that kind of depth. Going back to the combat again, she does control differently than than Joel does. She does fight differently, and it was that was just enough of like you know what I did enjoy the combat in this game and and that the final mall sequence with the time limit and and all the different enemies and even in the in between things like shooting people with the bow in a sporting goods store and everything. That was just enough combat for me. Like the amount of combat in that down, yeah. I feel like the whole game could have had that amount of combat. And like, was, I, I took a break between playing the main game and playing the DLC. So I was, yeah, I was just going to say, it would have been nice if I had had a little bit of a break between playing the main <laughs> and playing Left Behind. Because had I done that, I might have gone, oh, yeah, I remember how much I like this, this combat in small doses. But that's when the combat is the best, is when it goes, when it goes completely sideways and you've got to improvise. I mean, that's when it gets interesting. It's, it's far less entertaining when you're just picking people off or, or sneaking up on them one at a time. Yeah, it definitely did go sideways for me in that mall. I found myself like backing up, throwing. Well, it almost had to because they really to they really meted out the the ammo. I think very very sparingly yeah. in that last combat, which is great, and it goes on a lot longer than you expect it to. So you're being yeah. a little bit being a little bit free and easy with your ammo, and then all of a sudden there's a bunch more guys coming, and it's like, oh god, what do I do? <laughs> I got to kill him with a brick. Wasn't there like a new type of zombie also introduced? Um, when she's down underneath uh, the flooded garage and had to find the gas can and like siphon, no, those are the stalkers. There? They're they're in the main campaign, but they're very rare. No, the 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 ones that just ran right at you. Yeah, the, they're sort they're sort of whitish, but then like would hide. They'd hide and then they'd run at yeah. you. I don't remember those in the main campaign. I just oh. played the uh, hotel sequence in the basement, and they're in that. So. I, okay. I think they're they're rare. They're definitely a lot rarer than the runners. And maybe the, they're uh, just in flooded basements. That could be. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. That's their yeah, because I ran habitat. down there, turned that generator on, and got my ass out of there. And <laughs> they like generators. That's what it linger. is. I was reading how they were able to like add new features to the combat and like have you 
tricking the AI of like the infected versus normal people and having them battle each other, oh, which yeah. just that was, sounds that a, that awesome. A, that was a big part of that final level. It's like you realize at a certain point, I don't oh, have man. enough stuff to take out all these people. Like right. there's just too many of them. They're going to flank me. The mall is not the, the most defensible position because it's like escalators up on all the right. sides. And so I was totally running these these things into each other. And you find yourself yeah, throwing uh, bricks like, look over here. Zombie. You find yourself <laughs> picking <laughs> off the side that has more guys before you before you start that combat if you're playing through a second time after failing you go oh the uh, the live humans managed to uh, pick uh, off the zombies pretty I, I was quickly i better stab a couple before i start off this combat <laughs> i, I was also definitely like rooting for the zombies if you hit someone with an arrow like if you got a direct hit you can pull the arrow back out of them and use oh, it yeah, again def- but if you miss it's broken so mm. it encourages you to I, I tell you, I tried to use the bow because I love the bow in Tomb Raider. I just, I could not, maybe I'm just not using it right, but I, I did not find it to be an effective weapon. And, I couldn't use it with yeah. Joel, but with Ellie, I could. Yeah, I feel like it's frequently a single too. kill. Huh. It, it felt like a different style of gameplay. Like the, the Joel options were not options for Ellie, like the sort of like bash people to death and like, you know, like the, all those things mm-hmm. that come up behind them and choke them and use them as a shield. Like, that wasn't, it just didn't feel like the Ellie style of play. So with the bow with her, again, it was totally shoot the guy, retrieve the arrow, sneak around, shoot the other guy, retrieve the arrow. And yeah, because she didn't have the power behind her to, to accomplish a lot of the stuff that Joel could with the right. yeah. hand. Yeah. Right. Like I said, it takes two, it takes two stabs with the knife that she's carrying to take out the clickers. So mm-hmm. unlike with the shiv where you can dispatch them if you have a shiv immediately, you, you have to take them twice with the knife, which kind of it ups the challenge quite a bit. I, I didn't know if they, you know, they have like some sort of physics plug in here. Like when you walk over a bridge and you'll see like a, a paint can knock over and the lid will knock over it with like realistic physics. Yeah, I'm sitting there watching that. And I'm like, are, do they have like some sort of particle engine here? Did they render all of that out? Like, I don't know. It magicians. was very, very convincing. Yeah, magicians. Magicians trying to guess the tricks. It's funny. Oh. It's how you think now. You can't ever. Hey, Brie, what the, ever since I wrote a. Uh, a novel. Um, I yeah. can't. I can't read novels. You wrote a novel. I, well, <laughs> it, anyone can write a novel, Steve. Publishing it is the hard part. Oh. Um, but uh, I, 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 that experience means that I can't read novels the same way because it, I, I am trying to reverse engineer the tricks that go into I, building it. So you build exactly. things, and then you yeah. suddenly can see how they're built. And that's why I feel so bad. Like John, I'm sitting here listening to you, and you have so much passion for it, and you're able to evaluate it. It's like a piece of art, and I feel like I'm a terrible person because all I'm thinking about are like the seams in the game and where the loading <laughs> screens are and like how did they get this many static meshes and this high level texture here where the PlayStation really only has 512 megs of RAM here and 512 here, you know, like it's that's all I'm thinking about as I'm playing it. So don't become a game developer. Ruin <laughs> well, your I mean, like ability I don't make, to enjoy I don't games, make movies so, either, but I right. find myself doing the same thing in movies. Like I don't know anything about making right. movies or anything about film, but if the movie is really good, all that doesn't matter. But if the movie isn't bad, I know enough about movie makings or if the game is bad, I know enough about games that I will start picking on that stuff. So I think it's all about whether, whether you get swept up in the thing, because I mean, maybe it doesn't bother me as much, but if the game doesn't have me get swept up, in in the story or in the experience of playing it then yeah i'll find myself picking things apart and same thing with movies you're like oh well that was you know like i don't again i don't know much about special effects but if i find myself picking on the special effects or how well like the compositing was done in this scene or 
anything like that. I know that the rest of the movie wasn't working for me, and that's kind of like a fallback. So I would hope that even if even if you're a game developer, the only the only difference is if it's your own game, which you have experience with this as well. Obviously, if it's your own game, you played it eight thousand times, you can't ever experience it in the in the real way. But I think that even anybody who's a hardcore game developer should be able to get swept up in, in the game if it's the right game for them. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think you're you're hopeless. I was like, I was <laughs> swept up. I was, I was swept up in the opening. I was. Uh, I. I don't know. I, I want to be clear here. I really did like this game. I do think it's a masterpiece of the last generation. Um, I just think I liked it a little bit less than you and Tiff did. So, you know. We were talking about like the little nitpicky things that we did like. And I just got swept up in, in the, we were talking about the dialogue of the characters, but also their motions and their the things that they did in the game. I mean, oh, yeah. maybe Brianna, you could like illuminate a little bit more on <laughs> sure. how... Um, how likely this is to happen in a lot of other games, but like things like they would pick up um, parts with both of their hands or like Ellie, when she'd get her knife dirty, she'd wipe it off on her jeans. You know, like there were things that a human would do that, that the characters in the game just naturally did. And I thought that that really brought not a human element to the whole thing in, in addition to all the dialogue. Um, and in addition to like in the cut scenes, you know, of course you see them doing things like I said before, playing the piano and petting the horse. But um you know, it was like the it was those little I, I wrote notes about them because they stood out to me for being just just so beautiful. You know, those little moments that even if you just looked away, you were looking at another part of the game. You would totally miss a character doing that because maybe they did it once. You know, they they wouldn't keep repeating the act um, besides picking things up with both their hands. They did keep repeating that. But that's more of like a human thing. Usually you see a game character just like grabbing it with their too big hand their hands are always so big why is that they always have disproportionate <laughs> hands to the rest of their body and you're like that looks awful but these they they didn't they had normal size hands and they used both of them to do things it wasn't just one-handed everything and i i just that kind of helped sweep me in and uh i was curious if if that's uh so I pay attention to yeah yeah when one of the things I think of when I think of Naughty Dog is I think of first class procedural like visual effects and I also think of of this this um, magazine spread that I saw in Uncharted two and it was showing Nathan Drake reloading his pistol it was showing like thirty different variations on it because uh, Naughty Dog does do mocap. For all of this, and I, I don't know this for sure because I didn't develop the game, but I'm guessing they have two sets of skeletal meshes for the character. Like one is the super like detailed rig with lots of bones in their face, and they bring that in for the cutscenes where it's like crazy, crazy, crazy mocap. Do you see the littlest details in the actors' faces? Um, and then for the rest of the game, I, I would strongly suspect they have a more simplified rig that's just, you know, wrist here, bones here, all three of the last fingers on your hand, like all moving on the same joint. And it mo-capped with all these and then spending all your RAM on like various anim sets to to so you do have that variation with it. And I did notice that. I thought it was I mean, it's what Naughty Dog does. They excel at that kind of stuff. 
And having like in this generation, the previous generation now of consoles, having the ability to interpolate between animations in a believable way and having the feet, the feet like land on the ground and stuff like all that stuff goes a long way towards getting you over that hump of like in you know just one generation ago, like the character's feet would be going upstairs, but their heel would be suspended over midair or they'd be going up a hill, but their feet would still be perpendicular to, to gravity instead of the, the surface they were on. Or they'd start one animation and then you would do some action that would trigger another. They would jump immediately to the other animation with no like you know interpolating between the fact that we have the technology now to to not make to not break you out of it by making it because all those cute mocap animations of like you know we just have the guy who's wearing ping pong balls over his entire body reload his gun 31 times right but what if while he's reloading his gun you decide to turn around and go run over there or something you don't want them to suddenly glitch out of their gun reloading animation and then start going into their running animation you have to have a way to for them to transition so they feel like an actual person and we're just now getting to the point where in a full-fledged game that is that has lots of people on the screen and big and everything, you know, that you can do it in a believable way. And in PlayStation 4, like the, this game has been remastered, as they call it, for PlayStation 4. Uh, it, if this game had been made for PlayStation 4, it could be even better. But all they did for the PlayStation 4 thing was, you know, up-resed everything. And like I said before, they took the the models that they used in the cutscenes that had more polygons and, uh, and better textures, they use them in the whole game now. So oh. I, I, I can, so I can only imagine what like at the end of the PS4 generation, what a game like this, what a, what, you know, you know, linear bathtub style, naughty dog adventure, uh, game could look like, but by, by that end, and it's really getting to the point where the actors performances, they spend a lot of time in the green, in front of the green screen with the ping pong balls on them can add so much to the game in a way that seems seamless to you that you don't that you don't see it as a series of canned animations that get triggered in response to certain things. It feels more like a little person doing stuff. I, I do feel compelled to to say here, like mocap is great. Now everyone I know that does mocap professionally is at the top of their game, and the people that go into you know like uh, like levels of joint influence and, and skeletal meshes and stuff, they're a level of genius that I just I can't even process. That said, they still do have armies of animators that go through by hand and smooth this stuff out because the technology will never be awesome enough that you don't, you know, have some shake in a mocap. Like you can put on a mocap suit and look at where the joints are interpreted and it just is bumpy. So, you know, it's not just that performance. Like you have you have armies of people going through and cleaning it up after the fact. So but, you know, also like the PS3, like it is so crazy RAM constrained. That's why I could not believe about this game. Like um, the PlayStation 3 only has 512 of system RAM. I'm sorry, 256 of, of system RAM. And then the video card has another 256. And then if you figure out how much the engine is going to take, and you figure out how much the, you know, whatever physics like simulator they're running on top of that. Like the fact that they were able to cram as many textures as at as high a resolution as they were in this game, I was amazed by it um i think that the dirt everywhere is kind of hiding some of the low res of the textures like if it's if it's science fiction everything's super clean then you are going to notice like everything that isn't like super sharp and here they were able to like spray dust on top of everything so i thought it was more forgivable 
there's very little pop in though like, like their level of detail uh yeah, system yeah. it was not like you'd go around the corner and there would be a stutter or you'd see like the textures pop in or suddenly a building would appear like again a lot of that is the clever clever sight lines with the bathtub making it so you don't see that but mm-hmm. yeah it's it's amazing to me that this game is is a playstation 3 game not because like everyone who's a pc gamer is gonna be like well you know i i i've i've played you know the latest version of far cry and it looks 10 times better <laughs> than this so, like obviously it's not you know i don't know what resolution is it's a it's a, it's a television game on a previous gen mm-hmm. console or whatever but i keep going back to games like uh, metroid prime for example the textures and number of polygons in that game is nothing and it's another it's talk about a bathtub game it's like you know a thimble game where you're in these little thimbles connected by portals it doesn't matter if the experience of playing it like looks amazing and looks real to you like artistry matters so much more than the technology things and i think the last of us had its work cut out for it in, in committing to doing realistic no big hands like Dip oh, said. Yeah. no no cartoonish features normally proportioned humans realistic looking environments on the PlayStation 3, and it seems like just a formula for disaster, but they they pulled it off. What's even more amazing to me, like, uh, there's this, a scene in the game where you're standing and you look out over the football field, and you look way off in the distance and you see, like, this high school. And you can you get a real close-up of it, and you see all the detail of it. And then you zoom back, and you're where you are. And what I found so amazing about that is you know, Naughty Dog doesn't work with Unreal or Crytek. Like, as I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly. They use their own proprietary engine, meaning level of detail, meaning level streaming, meaning all of these technical tricks. They have written their own proprietary engine for it. And to have it running at that level where you can just like LOD and see something way off in the distance and come back and it's looking perfect. I mean, that's really technically impressive. You can stream the textures in that quickly. And I, I just like there's a reason there's some of the best technical artists in the entire you know, games industry. And I think their their genius really showed here. Naughty Dog will always mean Crash Bandicoot to me. They're a little better nowadays. I don't know. Thief, I think, was my first exposure to them. That's really ancient. (laughs) Do you know what my first professional run-in with Naughty Dog? I was at my first GDC, and I didn't know what I was doing. And one of their artists sat down with me for a solid hour and explained to me some procedural effects. And it it was a moment for me where someone in the game industry took a minute to show me some kindness and to kind of make me feel like I could do this. And for that reason, I will always love Naughty Dog. So I think they are fantastic people over there. All right, Naughty Dog. <laughs> yeah, bravo, Naughty Dog. Yeah, yeah. Good dog. Did anyone else get really annoyed that nobody closed doors in this game also? Yeah, people I wanted to like, close a lot of doors. People are point after you, doors, and you, get into, you, know. you run into a house, and uh, no one closes the door. None the of the doorknobs work. All the wood is rotted. The so windows yeah. are all knocked out. But no, out. as Joel, you could go like, I'm going to close the door. But if you're with a whole bunch of people, like you're with those, that guy and his, his, his kid brother, whoever he was, no, they're all helping. You know, you're all running away, and no one's closing doors. Just leave yourself open. I did Just, feel like a lot of their supposedly fortified positions were not particularly well fortified. Because as, yeah. as, as soon as the zombies come, it's like, well, this place is Swiss cheese. What are you guys doing here? <laughs> but like if you play in like Left 4 Dead, everyone window. closes the doors. Like everyone closes doors in Left 4 hmm. Dead. But yeah, well, I would, I would guess that's the scripting <laughs> with them letting characters so you don't get trapped. Like something was impressive to me as I was going through hallways or up ladders was the sophistication of the algorithm to figure out where your characters were. So if they're leaving them open, maybe that's because you they 
don't know if characters are going to be near you or crossing through with you. So they didn't have enough uh, door opening animations because it's very difficult to get the character all aligned <laughs> with the door handle and right, open the door right, and walk right. through the door. Are and if you kept closing it? doors behind you, the yeah. AI characters would constantly be having to do their passing through it. You're joking, door but I think that's the truth. <laughs> so. No, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Yeah, like yeah, that is. Yeah. It seems like an easy thing to do, but. If that's not a necessary part of your gameplay, having to animate that from all the different angles and all the different doors and all the different doorknob heights with all the different people trying to go through the door at the same time, that's a next generation. That, that, yeah. type, of, that type of door closing technology is only possible to PlayStation 4 and Gu- Xbox One. Guys, once the zombie apocalypse happens, nobody's closing doors anymore. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> we give up. The whole game is done sneaking around anymore. and no one can close the door? Nope. I was like, come on. Well, at least they put all those waste <laughs> I'd go around closing the doors. People. I'd be like, people, shh, just duck down and let me close <laughs> just, the door. Just be glad they left all that cover for you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's good to have cover. Can I go through my list of things I hate all about right, modern third-person console games? All right, do it fast because we're all turning into pumpkins. But yes, go ahead. Thing, things I hate about third-person console games. All right. Complex, <laughs> complex oh, God, actions triggered by... Complex actions triggered by a single button press. Like I, I, I press the the melee attack button, and the character in the screen does like this five step move yeah. that like puts the enemy's head onto my knee and then throws him down on the ground. <laughs> and in the process, the entire character is turned around, and I end up facing a different direction. I didn't choose to do that move. I just hit one button. I want control. Shouldn't over hit my that character. button, John. That was the finishing <laughs> move button. Even if it's a limited move set, I want to feel like. And a good example would be like Twilight Princess, where where Link gets this increasingly complicated move set over the course of the game. But I choose which move I do and when. I want it to be more like a fighting game and less like a press this button to make this really complicated animation unfold uh instant death because reasons if you don't have a shiv <laughs> sorry instant death by the clicker it's like I, you know, it's like i don't care how good you are at punching and moving i said instant death clicker no shiv equals instant death i feel like i should have a chance if the clicker comes i don't have a shiv if i'm good with my fists or with a brick i should be able to live it shouldn't just decide no sorry rock paper scissors clicker no shiv equals death uh, quick time <laughs> events, press X not to die. Nobody likes them. There's few of them in this game. I still don't like them. I don't like pressing X not to die. Uh, frustrating <laughs> third-person aiming with little or, no, little or no control over the initial position of the aiming. It's always like, go into aiming mode, see what the hell crazy position they put the crosshair yes. on, move to the target as fast as you can before you get shot, and then go back undercover. And then when you repeat this process, you come back up, go into aiming mode, where is it going to put the cursor now? now? Not where I want it to put. That's why auto-aim in this game, I feel like, is an essential feature because at least then you have some idea where the heck the freaking crosshair is going to be. This is just a problem with all third-person games. <laughs> the pointless crafting system. I know some people love crafting. Oh, no. I kind of liked it too, but like searching for items is so artificial, they might as well be entirely symbolic. Like yep. rag, blade, explosive sugar, and they get combined in ways that like even a Minecraft player would snicker at. Like binding <laughs> plus blade <laughs> equals shiv. What? You've got a blade. Why do you need binding? Just stab them with the blade. You've got a shiv. And the alcohol you can just hold plus the blade. Yeah, alcohol yeah, you plus you need some sort of, of hilt. scissors, and then well, I don't like, know oh, what blades are hanging around. Piece of the scissor. Alcohol really? plus rag equals health kit. It's like oh, I have alcohol, but it's useless to me without a rag. You're wearing clothes. <laughs> you, can, you don't need a rag. I should, you know, yeah. if that's going to be the health thing. And the items are so hard to see because everything is realistically rendered. So one little pair of scissors is not going to uh, stand out. So they have to make everything glow with this artificial glow that totally bl- breaks the illusion of reality. They spend all this time and effort making you convinced that it's real and then things glow why because you would never find them otherwise because they look realistic it's like why not just let me find health kits instead of that point i don't need to craft them like and the supposed tension between like oh well the same thing you use to make a health kit can also health kit can also be used to make offensive weapons and you have to choose it's like that's not worth me just give me health kits and give me items uh weapons upgrades that with these highlighted parts that you only get to use when you find a special workbench like that is so artificial and again it doesn't fit in with the realistic world to have this you know 
This oh, you can only you can only upgrade your weapons when you find one of these benches. I can upgrade them anywhere if I find these magical parts. Why not just sit down in the middle of the road and upgrade them? And the upgrades aren't really meaningful until the end of the game anyway, because you slowly upgrade your weapon and only really makes a difference if you difference if you fully upgraded one of your favorite weapons. Then at the end of the game, for like two levels, you finally get to use the weapon that you've worked so hard on. It makes a uh, huge difference in certain respects if you're playing on normal. I will say that. Because I, I, having I, I having a, a larger clip size on some of those weapons is essential to using. Them, oh, like the on hard rifle. too, it makes a huge difference. Well, the and, the, and the reload time, I think, everything. too. But, but like, I feel like, even you know, the, to work your way through the upgrades, to finally have a fully upgraded weapon, I feel like the in-between stages are just, like, marginally better. And then the final stage is maybe what you really want. Especially when you have to choose between, like, clip size and reload time. You're like, yeah, I don't know. And finally, like, uh, the, the, you know, all these all these hard games, you know, story told mostly through non-interactive cutscenes. The Last of Us is a better job than most things, but I don't want to watch a movie. I want to play a game, which is why I don't like Final Fantasy games and uh, other things that have hours and hours of cutscenes that I, I don't want to watch. So that's my list. And this game does almost all of these things. Uh, and I guess I could have put in the, the cover systems and, and the waist high walls, which I find a little bit silly and tiresome. But despite all mm-hmm. of this, I really like the game. That's so funny hearing you list that because all the things you said you hated, I thought I really liked and put in my notes. But now the way that you said them, I also hate them. <laughs> this, is, this is how John makes us not like things we like anymore. They're just they're just tropes. Like this is just like the standard tropes. And the thing, these tropes, like if, if you look at the artsy fartsy games that I like, I like them because they break all these rules. Like there's no HUD or items do not glow. You do not flash red when you're hit. There are no health bars. Like I'll take all the tropes of gamings and remove them so I can feel like it's a more realistic world to play act with these little dolls that i you know what i mean like that i don't i don't want all the other stuff i don't want to be reminded that these i have to find these little symbols to combine into the silly pattern to craft this thing because that feels it doesn't feel like the realistic world that's being drawn on my screen i i don't agree with most of those (laughs) (laughs) i still respect you yeah these tropes are tropes for a reason people like them like they work they're they're there for important gameplay reasons i'm just saying like that's that's the reason i like these weird games yeah, that's as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking like this exists as a gameplay system, like the crafting system. And like, it's not realistic that you can't, that you have to, like, a shiv only lasts one or two times when you yeah, stab somebody yeah. with it. That's a joke, but it's, it feeds into this crafting mechanic because I thought that like exploring was fun. And I, I don't know. I think it, cra- crafting and exploring is fun. It's just like you can make a system. It, it needs to fit in with the game, like a sophisticated crafting system in a game where everything is sort of of the same level of abstraction. Like if everything's super abstract and it's just a bunch of weird shapes and everything is wacky, then it's like, it's like you're playing a video game version of Adventure Time. Then anything goes. But if you're playing in this super grim, realistic world, uh, but you still want people to find pieces, little scissors, so you have to make everything glow that it doesn't it doesn't mesh for me it's not it's not the existence of these these tropes and these mechanics that are bad it's how they're implemented in this particular game was was off-putting and and if you like these mechanics and find a game where they really fit in then go for it but i i don't think i like these mechanics in in any type of game i would much rather play like eco where there's like no mechanics and everything oh is eco again yeah i like it I do like the fact that the shivs become more durable when you find the training manual that gives you the brilliant idea to sharpen them. Yeah, who would have thought yeah, of that? Right, right. I mean, so that's a mechanic of like finding training manuals to tell you things that like you would think you would already know from living five years in the zombie apocalypse, but apparently you don't until you find some dusty magazine right. that tells you. Oh. Well, you start off as a guy who thinks he needs a, a rag in order to use a knife, so. <sighs> yeah, yeah. And binding, the magic of binding. Binding. Yes. It's useful. That's what Lord of the Rings was all about, John. Yeah, or uh, what do you call it? The uh... Uh, to bind them. Yeah, yeah. 
I was thinking it was going to be like the I can't even think of it now. You got to help me, Jason. Uh, the pan flute, uh, magic fear? refrigerator, magic refrigerator. Uh, oh, oh, the the man of the wind. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> yes. Some binding in there too. Sure. Yeah, that's also trapper keepers. Those are binders. So. All right, lightning round. I was. I don't have a, a Syracuse-esque length list of complaints, but I was really bothered by the windows. There's this this thing that games do when they don't want to draw or create levels like behind something, that they'll like cheat a window in this way of putting a spec map on it, so it's kind of glowing and it looks kind of frosted. But no matter what angle you're walking, like at looking at it, you'll never be able to see what's behind it. And they did that everywhere everywhere in this game it's like i know the ps3 can handle a freaking transparency you've got all these static meshes loaded like i it just it it broke the illusion for me everywhere because everything looks photorealistic generally speaking or it's it you believe you're in that world but then like you see these windows everywhere and you just can't see through them it just that really broke the uh yeah but the they would have to put something me. behind them then like if they can make that opaque they could save a lot for the, all the stuff that being uh, occluded gets pruned out and they don't have to worry about rendering that at all i think they were at their yeah. limits like so i i mean yeah, I, I forgive yeah. them and i'd rather have them do that than to do the thing where there are no windows because then you really feel like you're in a bathtub. Then you really feel like, is this a submarine or is this like a, you know, a hotel? Like just everything closed off. And that glow for all the silliness of the effect. If you didn't, if you didn't spend your time inspecting the window, anytime you glanced over there, you're like, yeah, it's realistic. I would get, I would get kind of a glow off of that. And if you didn't notice, it's kind of like, how many people played like the original uh, marathon? I guess Jason, as he's played this game, and noticed that no matter how much you rotate around a weapon that's on the ground, it always you always look at it from the same angle because they just had one sprite, right? <laughs> how many people played through marathon for decades or however long they played and never noticed that? Like that's the magic. That's the magic of uh, of movie making and game making mm-hmm. that I think regular people will just not note. Even something as obvious as you can never get around and see the backside of that gun. It's always facing you. You know what's up with that? Uh, the windows are, are are far below that, and I, I think it was an attractive fake-out frosty glow effect, so <laughs> I, I, I give it a thumbs up. There All was right. one place where the window, I, I found a window that was opaque, and I turned the flashlight on it, and suddenly I could see through to what was behind it, which seemed a little really? backwards to me. Oh, they're faking you out there. They had, they had that one for Brianna, and she didn't find it. It was odd, <laughs> to say the <laughs> you least. You doubted us. Well, what was behind it, oh. though? It was a staircase. It was like a, yeah. uh, like a um, fire escape kind of thing. I thought the uh, the flashlight effect was so impressive. Like I want, I want whoever, like if the person Naughty Dog that coded that flashlight effect, like dynamic lighting, is is listening to this, please talk to me on Twitter because I want to know <laughs> how you did that. Like if you see at the center of it will like grow or shrink oh, yeah. depending on your distance to the wall. It's not a texture that they're growing through. I don't know if it's like some programmable shader that they did mixed with a dynamic light cone or, or what, but it was, yeah, it was so really what I was thinking. It's like It's like a cone because uh, whatever angle it intersects and then they're just fuzzing out the, the region that it intersects at. But like I, whoever did that, that flashlight really needs to work on the contacts that every once in a while you got to do the shake the controller to get the light to go back on. Yeah. Like yeah. I know they wanted that to be like in a moment of tension that would happen, but it always happened to me in a moment that there was no tension. I was like, this yeah. flashlight sucks. Shake, shake, shake. <laughs> <laughs> we got to work in the motion control somehow. No, I like the uh, I like the fact that the it, it actually bugged me, but I liked it that the flashlight is is uh, is shaky. It's hand shaky. It's not. Yeah. It's not like a robotic uh, light beam of exactly where you're facing. It's all kind of like 
moving around with your hand and it doesn't really tra- – it tracks you late and I liked that. It felt very organic even though it frustrated me because I wanted perfect lighting. And- <laughs> I've had the middle of the- a long time because I am such a yeah. wimp in games that are dark. I have the light on all the time. Like flashlight. Oh, if the room is yeah. remotely dim, flashlight, flashlight. Got to see enemies. Like yeah. I, maybe I'm taking away from the atmosphere and like Doom 3 forced me not to do that with their stupid – uh, flashlight or gun uh, choice that they made you take. Right. But in, in this game, like, I would just flashlight everywhere. It was like broad daylight. I'd realize I have the flashlight on. It's like a like, security blanket for myself. <laughs> that is a game, Doom 3, where they could really have used one of those binding training manuals. <laughs> did the flashlight alert em- enemies at all? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, it did. The, the human enemies. So. Right, humans. Zombies conveniently do not care about light. Yeah, and they would put those little, little tool tips in the game to tell you, by the way, you can use your flashlight here. It'll yeah. be okay. Yep. It was a nice touch, I think, that they actually gave the the friendly characters an animation where they avert their gaze from the flashlight if you shine it right in their face. <laughs> yeah. What are we playing next? I'm ready. I tell you, if you want to friend me on PS Plus, like, we will make the most <laughs> hardcore gamer, like, the DLC guys on 5x5, I threatened them to a Gears of War, like, throwdown, so if you want to join our clan, we can go kick their butts sometime. So. I would be, uh, you, you're probably a lot easier to play with than the 12-year-olds on there that, like, totally creep Yeah, I'm, a, I'm <laughs> just a little nicer, so. Excellent. <laughs>